Sirius XM. On today's show. This is very exciting. For the first time, Howard welcomes Emmy-winning actor John Hamm. I read that John Hamm, the actor, is a big fan of our show. Really? Yeah. It was in an article I read. They asked him to pick his uh, four favorite presets, and Howard 100 was one of them. Wow. Uh-huh. There you go. Only on today's Howard Stern Show. It's going to be great. Mr. Zombie. Mr. Zombie. Mr. Zombie was the name of his cat. Rest in peace, Mr. Zombie, no longer alive. Yeah. Well, they got Mr. Zombie from us, and Mr. Zombie was an old cat that somebody had abandoned, and uh, they were kind enough to take him in, and they loved Mr. Zombie, but Mr. Zombie uh, died uh, hmm, a couple of months ago. Yeah, I remember when you told us. Yeah, I was... uh, just uh, watching that uh, funeral for the Queen. Good Lord Almighty. I felt like I was there. I dressed in black today because I was attending the funeral. Well, I mean, my goodness, there was a woman who got up. And I was actually trying to, like, they, they dragged the Queen in in that box. And those poor guys, these young guys who have to carry the, the body. Yeah, uh, and notice they, that there's a crown balanced on the box. So they can't yeah. tip. Because the crown will fall off. I know it looked like a wedding cake. I'm pretty sure they glue the. <laughs> I mean, I imagine they glue the crown to the. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but they show Prince Harry a lot, which I like because, like, he's the outcast. Isn't like what did he do? Did he reject the whole situation? He, of he a, stepped away from royal life. Yeah, he <clears> gave <throat> up his job. And he's been very critical, right, of the of the royalty. He says they're well, racist yes, he, and. He said it was yeah. tough for his wife, and all of a sudden it was becoming like, uh, you know, what happened to his mother, and he couldn't stand oh. to watch that whole thing again. Bad move. When he gets out of that pussy coma that his wife has him in, he's going to realize he fucked up. That's like they're considered like the wealthiest people in the world because they've got uh, a salary plus the crown jewels they own and properties and property and artwork and all kinds of things everything they have is well you know is worth something well he reminds me of like these maga trumpy people they don't really understand what they're asking for they want a um they want a king they want a ruler they've never lived in a country that doesn't have freedom we have something called the constitution with laws and no one is above the law there are no kings not even the president of the united states and these laws we hold sacred because it may, it's exactly what makes our country great. Somehow these morons who, you know, founded this country had some ability to create a document, a living, breathing document that we based our country on. You know, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Patrick Henry, all, you know, all the dudes you learn about in school. They somehow came up with this brilliant document where they didn't make George Washington the king. And we are now have a country where the people have a say. If you go to most of the autocratic countries, you will see that the ruler. Did you notice in Russia now all of the oil uh, industry guys are now dying mysteriously? Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're autocrat. It's killing them. And the rubes and dummies who are grew up in this country under unbelievable freedoms, who have never witnessed pogroms or uh, the Fuhrer. They've never seen what happens when you give a guy ultimate power. 
They're turned on by it. Well, if Trump was our king and the ultimate leader, we wouldn't have any of these foreigners in here. Or we wouldn't, forgetting that they came into this country as foreigners, their families. And what are these foreigners doing to them? You know, I hear people complaining about foreigners. They don't even see any. They just hear about them. They hate them. They're going to take away all the jobs. Believe me, the jobs those foreigners are getting, like cleaning shit out of your bowl, is not what you want. That's right. But they can't in any even case, your job. But in any case, the, the the people in this country who are Trumpies have never experienced an autocracy. They they think Vladimir Putin is a, a is a strong leader. Well, yeah, he is. But sadly, you have no power. If Vladimir Putin wants to kill you or lock up a member of the press or doesn't like his song or the same in China, President Xi or Xi or whatever the fuck his name is. He's Xi. another another maniac. I mean, um, you know, they they rule with an iron fist. And if you don't like it, you're fucked. But in this country, we have such great freedoms. It is such a great country where people are free to actually live their lives and have religion and have um, um, you know, private wealth and be protected under laws. They don't know how good they have it. They just don't know. And they're ready to throw it all away on one guy. It's unbelievable to me how our government is in jeopardy. It's a sad time. And, and so... When I'm watching the royalty, you know, when I'm watching the royalty and this king and the queen and the blah, 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 carrying on, um, you know, I find it repugnant, but, um, I understand it's a, it's a publicity thing. It's a, um, a tourist trap, you know, the, the royalty and, and a all tradition. that. Yeah. Yeah. But they keep showing you Prince Harry because for a guy like me who grew up with nothing, when you see a kid who grew up with such wealth and such privilege and such opportunity, I mean, if Prince Harry wanted to, he could just, I want, I dream of a day just painting all day. He can paint all day. He could study guitar. He could, he could become a karate master. He could do whatever he wants all day. Uh, or public service if he wants, help his country. He has such an opportunity that no one in the world gets. It's a, he's a, he's one in a tr- in, in several billion, and he just pisses it away. And and when King Charles hears his son is knocking this payday and this perfect life, he's he's like, "Are you out of your mind?" Is that or however how they Charles talk? Sounds like- <laughs> yeah, it sounds like um, what's that actor's name? Michael Caine. Yeah. Are you out of your bleeding mind? <laughs> what you got to do is keep your mouth shut, governor. They're, they're incensed because, uh, they hate him and the wife forget about her. She's well, another. You have to understand that they need the will of the people to be for them. I do understand that. And, and I'll and tell you so what. So they don't get to stay in that rarefied position if they, fall out of favor right and so they they're livid with with him so they on tv on this funeral i watched a few minutes of it i i mean i don't have all day just watching the body being brought into the big church and the slow steps of the of the soldiers who carry her body maron i mean you go out of your mind it's like oh, hey, ve and they got the musical 
And then they flash to the chorus. There's a choir, beautiful choir, high voices. You assume they're women. You look over, there's a priest in a gown. You know, if you know what well, I mean. He's not, he, it's the Church of England. Is he called the priest? I don't I think don't so. know what he's called, but it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies when I see these young boys singing, and they're dressed up like little girls. And uh, God, you know, we've all read. I, I don't know what's going on in England. Maybe, uh, maybe they have regular. not the Catholic Church. Right. Well, maybe they got uh, a better situation over there. They do get married. I think yeah. their priests marry. Good, good, whatever. good. Yeah. Thank they, God. They, That's, uh, they got to do that in this country because we got a bunch of sexed up priests running around here. They've they got a load that's 500 years old backed up in their balls and they can't control it. And then they start. They had so many reverends at the ch- There's a reverend, regular reverend. The right reverend, the most reverend, the reverend canon, and the very reverend. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. So this woman gets up to speak. She's one of the first speakers. She's wearing a big giant hat. I think she was, I don't know where she's from, but she, she's some, something of Scotland, some minister lady, of Scotland. Lady of Scotland. I think she's the, <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down. She's the Secretary General of the Commonwealth of Nations. She starts yeah. speaking. And, you know, in light of my father's death, I've been looking for answers because it all seems so meaningless to me. My father had this whole life and now he's dead. And like, what did it all mean? And you know what I mean? You start asking yourself these very big questions. And I said, you know, I'm going to listen to the, the the Secretary General lady something or other. And she's got the British accent, and she's reading from the Bible, Jesus and Lord Jesus, and the Jesus does, and the, the, and I'm like, hmm, maybe she knows the answer. Maybe there's something profound in what she's saying. For the life of me, I could not follow what she was saying. I really tried. Now, listen, I ain't saying I'm the brightest guy in the world, but I do have a college education. I managed to pass a lot of classes. Granted, some of them were bullshit. But, you know, I mean, I have a, a fairly extensive education. There were some people who didn't pass those classes. Right. right. So I guess there had to be someone who couldn't figure out how to pass film class. <laughs> the interpretations of Ingmar Bergman. But um, I don't know. Maybe she had some answer. But she was reading. And I don't know what she was saying. I'll play you some of her speech because I really wanted to know what happens. The body is dead. What is it they're saying? Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. All I hear is Christ, 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 but I don't, I don't get any sense of what the, the fuck. story. What yeah. story? Adam blew yeah. it. Adam blew it. We lived in paradise. Who? who did he blow? Well, he might have been blowing Eve. I don't know. I don't but, know. But uh, when she took that apple from the snake. That oh ended God. everything, and now we have to die. And then Jesus came, and he uh, died for us, and then was resurrected. So okay. he brought eternal life. Oh, 
Hey, Vegas, man. You, well, you always were smarter than me. I had no idea what she was talking about. You thought it was Adam down um, the street. Oh, my God. I just... Uh, you know, I got to say, I'm going to hand it to myself. My dad's funeral was so much better. It was me, the kids, my sister, my brother-in-law. Oh, no, I thought you'd be taking notes of this one and deciding how yours was going to be. Yeah, Beth said to me, what's the takeaway? I said, well, she goes, what should I put on top of your coffin? (laughs) I said, I guess maybe my microphone. I don't know. Carry me in. Some of those song selections. Evidently, the queen selected those songs herself. I understand that she... Yeah arrange the whole thing yeah and so she, when all these people are talking i'm like does she have to listen to these speeches too before she died no. and, and approve them no she's laughing she's like you guys have a little <laughs> bit of life left in you and i'm eating it all up at my funeral so we <laughs> stood right. around we stood around my father's grave and i told stories about him because none of us standing at that grave had an answer about what happens to your body when you die no one has it Nothing happens to your body. You know, your body stays here. You're hoping no. your soul goes somewhere. No, doesn't go. You can dig the body up and look for it and look at it. Oh, hold on a second. William Shatner, everybody. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. First off, Howard, she's speaking way too fast. She needs to <laughs> slow down. All right. What's the rush? Here's my interpretation now. Now is Christ risen from the dead. Right. And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death by man came <laughs> okay, also I've heard enough thank you Mr. Shatner <laughs> the funeral would be hours longer if, hours if he ah. was delivering every speech now I understand it but uh, it's weird too my mother used to have all the answers about death now that she's like really in bad shape She's got no answers. All her spirituality is right out the window. I'm talking to her. I went over to see her uh, Thursday. I get there early in the morning. Whole different woman now. Whole different woman. What do you mean by that? Um, I go, uh, my mother was like, uh, Dayo, you think about dad? I go, oh, yeah, don't worry. I've been thinking about dad my whole life. She goes, you do think about him. Where is he? What do you think? Where do you think your father is? I said, Mom, I'll tell you this. I don't have all the answers, but I know he's resting in peace. She goes, whatever that means. (laughs) She used to tell you what would happen, right? She had a story. When you die, you go. And if you've lived a good life and you haven't committed suicide... You decide if you want to come back or if you want to stay in heaven. And I want to stay in heaven. 
I'm not looking to do this all over again. So I'm living my life a certain way. I mean, she had a whole book of mine, a story where you go, you decide, and you this. Now, forget it all out the door. I don't know where he is. It's all nonsense. Well, I got it all figured out what happened to her. My mother, everything changed in her when she got uh, COVID. She got the long-term COVID. She almost died from it. And she has never been the same since. And I'm reading in the paper the other day that people who get long-term COVID either have had massive depression in their lives, which my mother was, or uh, mental illness. And uh, my mother had long-term depression. So this COVID did a number on her because Mm. she is one big mess now. I mean, she's just, oh, my God, my weekend with her was just awful not not in the sense that i'm taking care of her but in the sense i feel bad for her i mean it's terrible it's just uh oh my god heaven i gotta just keep my health i gotta stay healthy because i do not want to end up like this Uh, she's miserable and everything i do ends up backfiring ends up backfiring i try to keep her happy my wife too tries to keep her happy but i think covid activates the misery center in your brain you know, so uh, what happened was this. I'm over there with my mother. And I'm trying to figure out some concrete things to help her. In other words, you know, you can sit and bullshit all you want. But I go, Mom, what, what are you eating? What's going on? Her legs are blowing up, right? They're getting big. So I sent to the doctor. The doctor looks her over. She's eating a lot of salt. She's laying in bed all day, right? Okay. And I hear this, they're going to put her on a diuretic. What's the diuretic do? The diuretic makes you pee a lot. Problem is, my mom, her vagina is always bothering her. So she's, you know, I don't want her peeing all the time. You know, it's too much. And she can't get out of bed all the time to pee. It's it's hard for her to get out of bed. She doesn't want to get out of bed, but she's not going to, you know, piss in a diaper. So she gets out of bed, but it's, all, you know, she's like, ah. So anyway, I'm thinking and thinking and thinking. I go, mom. All right. I figure, listen, she's an old lady. She likes to eat salted potato chips. Now they got her on salt-free potato chips and she's miserable. She hates the food where she is. I go, Mom, what do you what do you think about eating? I like guacamole. Okay. So what about I make you a nice English muffin? I mean, English muffins have a lot of sodium, but what are you going to do? I mean, she's an old bag who isn't eating. I go, Mom. I'll make you a nice English muffin in the toaster. We don't have a toaster. Meanwhile, she's got a toaster in the kitchen. I go, what are you talking about? You got a toaster over there. Oh. We'll toast up a nice English muffin, put a little guacamole on it. With a slice of tomato. With a slice of tomato. Now you're talking. That's it. I'm like a cheerleader. (laughs) Now you're talking, Mom. I'm like a cheerleader, Robin. I go, okay. I said, what else do you like, eggs? How about English muffin with an egg and cheese? Cheese? I don't even remember what kind of cheese I like. Oh, I said, I I remember. I sat every day of my life all the way through high school, 18 years, watching you eat cheese. You like monster cheese. Monster cheese? 
<laughs> yes. How about a nice egg with monster cheese? Monster cheese, I like. You like it, Mom. Now I'm the cheery one. I'm doing I'm doing anything I can. I said, what about dinner? The food here is horrible. I've eaten there. It's delicious. My father loved it, everything. Your taste buds are probably messed up. Uh, who knows, Robin? I, you I'm know exhausted. that COVID does, doesn't it take your taste yes. away? Yes, yes, it does, Robin. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Robin, there's Robin, everybody. So, uh, yeah, I'm going out of my mind. So I said, Mom, I tell you what, what do you like to eat for dinner? Well, if they had a nice salmon, yeah. What about chicken? Chicken I like, but I like it dark meat and juicy. It's not juicy. It's not juicy. I go, what if I could get you juicy dark meat chicken? <laughs> well, anyway, I said, tonight I'm going to send over salmon from the best restaurant. You are? Okay. Send over the salmon. I called up a raid. I go, how'd the salmon go? She goes, well, she says it's awful. Awful. Oh, no. Everything is awful. I can't win. I said, you know what? <sighs> I, get, I got, so I, I throw my hands up in the air. Everything I do just turns into a disaster. So I go over to her place. I'm looking over. She got a TV in the room with her. The TV's the size of like, um, a little mirror. My mom can barely see anymore. She barely can hear. They got, she's blasting it so loud, Robin. You can't even think straight in the apartment. So I walk in. I go, Mom, I'm going to do the following for you. I'm going to get you a TV that is five times the size of this thing. It's going to feel like you're in a movie theater. And I'm going to get you some kind of speakers so you could. Yeah, thanks, so. Yes, I think so. I think this, listen, there's not much that makes you happy these days. You like TV, right? I love TV. I love it. All right. You'll, I'll get you the TV. You'll have a good experience and you'll have something to look forward to. All right. All right. Do you think it'll be okay? I yes, it, it's going to be wonderful. Then, and then she turns to the aide. Do you think he knows what to do? I'm so insulted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, what am I? What am I, an asshole? Oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw you up. Asking the aide, do you think he, what he's doing is right? <laughs> Does the aide know you for some reason? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Somehow she knows. I go, mom. <laughs> trust me, I know what I'm doing. It's gonna be a nice big TV. Well, my boy Matt and Jeff, the two guys working for me. I don't even know how long. Where's Matt? Matt, how long are you working for me? I don't know. He, he's an off. He's you know he's a guy you don't know who he is, but uh, Matt is a guy who works for me many years. How many years are you working for me, Matt? Do you know? Yeah, all right. I don't know if he has the ability to talk on air. I was going to say, who are you yelling at, and where is Matt? <laughs> Started fifteen years ago. Matt's been working with me fifteen years, and Matt knows uh. his shit. So I said, look, can you get a TV in there? So he gets, he brushes, he gets the TV. I said, it's got to be simple. My mother, blah, blah, blah. He goes over there. He puts in the TV, big screen TV. The remote control is the same remote control she always had. So she's, yeah. it's the same thing. And now there's a big speaker by her head. And it's one knob and you can turn the volume. 
I call her up, Mom, how do you love the new TV? I want something positive to happen. How do you like that new TV? It's all right. What's going on? What do you mean? It's, uh... Don't you see it better? It's... I always saw it. Mom, you sound like something's wrong. What's wrong with the new TV? I don't know how to work it. <laughs> what, what do you mean? It didn't. They didn't bring instructions. Instru- Mom, it's the same remote control. What? It's the same. Devi- it's the same device. A what? Uh, the thing you press to turn it on, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know I'm not good with new gadgets. I never was. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to work it. Is she sitting there now and she can't see TV? I don't know what's going on. So I said, Mom, what about the sound? Isn't the sound clear? I don't know. I don't. I guess so. Oh boy. But it's got to be a major difference. It's right by your head and it's a special speaker so that the voices will be clear. I don't know. It seems I'll get used to it, I guess. All new things are difficult. It's very hard for me. I need in- instructions. I go, you don't need instructions. Mom, I said, turn it. Is the aide there with you now? Yes, she's here with me. Does she know how to work your TV? No one knows how to work the TV. <laughs> and then I hear the aide in the background going, I know how to work the TV. I, I go, Mom, do me a favor while I'm on the phone. Turn the TV on. Why? Turn the TV on. Now you want me to turn the TV on? Not now. No, do it now. I'm telling you, you can do it. It's the (laughs) same thing. It's the same remote control. All right, I'll turn it on if I can. Uh. (laughs) Hold on a second. I mean, I mean, I got to. It's just so maddening. It sounds like you have it on. You have it on. You have it on. It's on. I did it. And can you hear it? What? Can you hear the... Can you hear the sound? Yes. What? Why don't you turn the channel? See if you can change the channel. I can't hear anything. I don't hear you. Now, of course, we have I said you, you have it on. You have the TV on. You did it. That's it. You know how to work it. I don't know how to. Mom, turn off the TV now. Turn it off. <laughs> you did it. 
I did it. I don't think so. I don't know how you have to send someone over to help. You want me to send Matt and Jeff over to help? If they could teach us how to do it, maybe we could do it. I go, but you just did it. It's this is my day. I don't understand. It seems like the aides are there, but they're not doing anything. What? It sounds like the aides are there, but they never do anything. I don't know. I I don't. I even got got the aide on the phone. I said, "Do me a favor. Just turn it on for her and set the volume." So I talked to the aide. How to change the channels? I talked to the aide, and she said to me, "I go. What do you think the problem is?" She goes, "Your mother." She's afraid of the TV. I go, afraid of it? What do you mean? Like she thinks it's going to attack her? I mean, like, like she's a, like, what do you mean she's afraid? Cause it's new? Yes. And she stares at the, this is like, there's a, a speaker. She goes, she yeah. stares at the speaker next to her head. She thinks that's the TV. Oh my she, God. I said, that can't be right. There's no <laughs> way. She's not that out of it. <laughs> and then there's a blue light on the fucking speaker and my my mother when she sleeps doesn't like the blue light so i said move the f- speaker so which she doesn't see it when she sleeps i don't know what's going on over there Ugh. so now i'm gonna call the woman in charge of all the aids and have them instruct my mother how to i, I mean i'm not sending matt and jeff over because it's the everyone it's knows simple, how to work it right it's simple it's simple it, Robin, it's the same remote control. It's the same button. And the only difference is the volume control is right next to her head. Right. And they can set that for her. Well, I'm going out of my mind. The salmon's no good. The new TV's no good. I said to my wife, I got to stop getting involved. I got to stay away from this situation. Every time I try to fix something and make it better, Beth says maybe I shouldn't spring into action. You know? Maybe I mean, was she complaining about the size of the TV? No, but I'm telling you, I know my mother can barely see. I was like, how could she see? It's a little, it's like the size of a small computer screen. Uh-huh. It was put in originally. It was a second bedroom. My mother would go in there to just kind of like chill out and she'd be near the TV. She could sit and watch TV. Right. Now she's in bed. The TV's far away from her. So I made the TV bigger. It's a no-brainer. Improve her life. Now every... So I was thinking of sending Matt and Jeff over there. But I don't Two know what they're going to do. people to turn on the TV. Yes. Well, to teach her. I don't know. I mean, I'll go over. I go over and see her. I'll go over. I'll teach her. I'm not leaving until she knows. I don't understand how it's difficult. <laughs> then my daughter... So then she gave up with me. She called my daughter. Oh. Ashley. Uh-huh. Which even drives me crazy because she's calling Ashley about the TV. And Ashley was away this weekend and she calls me up. Dad, grandma's upset about the TV. (laughs) I I said, what? She called you? She said, and Ashley thinks it's just my mother gets scared of anything new. I go, it's not new, Ashley. Now I'm explaining Ashley. I go, it's not new. It's it's the same remote control. It, It doesn't, it's no different. I don't know what it is that I could do for her. Uh, anyway, I think it's long-term COVID because we we recognize that as soon as my mother got that COVID the first time, that was it. Everything changed. She used to be semi, you know, with it. Oh, what a weekend.
and I and I'm miserable every day because I'm like, ah, oh, every time I try to do things right, I can't even get it done. But you haven't done anything wrong. No, I've done everything right, but <laughs> somehow it's wrong. <laughs> if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> uh, uh, Chip, you're on the air. What do you want to say? Chip in Utah. By the way, also, uh, your boyfriend's on today. Um, John Hamm. John Hamm, yeah. John Hamm. Hey, Howard, how are you doing? I want to keep this, you know, try to keep this concise, but, oh, shit. My mom went through this thing. She just, they called it a, a delirium, but she just basically fell into a dementia like six months ago, out of nowhere, you know? And it just, I just listened to you and it, I just, it resonates so much with me yeah, here. My mom isn't demented. Like, she doesn't have dementia. It's weird. She's very with it. When I when I sit down with her and we talk about stuff, it's this TV. For some reason, I think whenever something is new, she she freaks out and can't process that it's new. But it's I kept it the same. I I when, uh, Matt, is that, is that remote? The remote control is the same remote control. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. It's exactly everything's the same, but it just things don't work quite the same in their head you know i guess so all right chip enough with your mother i got my own problem <laughs> listen about his mother uh jesus christ what are you gonna do that's it you're you're just going to have to realize everything's going to be like this i was so tired last night i'm waiting for my wife she was doing her cat rounds where she helps all the cats we're fostering i get into bed i'm watching she hulk okay. which is i love <laughs> she hulk i do and i'm very i, find I gotta the, uh, try again with that one i love it i love it it's and they're quick episodes they're like 25 minutes long anyway yeah but life a, is short <laughs> yeah i know i hear you she hulk is an attorney you know and uh I love it, but I passed right out. I was asleep. My wife, uh, God bless her, didn't disturb me. I just woke. I woke up. I, I you know, I usually I, you I'm slept wide awake. The night? Oh well, I pitched twice, but I the alarm had to wake me. I was so you know this morning. I'm so exhausted from all of this. <laughs> I mean, and Beth said I was screaming in my sleep. I'm oh. gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. She what? said, I don't know. Yeah. She said, I was screaming. I'm going to kill you. She goes, wow. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I go, oh, my God. You should. I mean, you must have been scared. She goes, oh, I was terrified. Who are you going to kill? I go, yeah, I got some theory. About? I go, I'm pretty sure it ain't you. <laughs> I got a long list. Who knows? I, you know, that's my subconscious screaming out. Yeah, but I mean, you don't have any recollection of. No. A bad dream Nightmare. that you were no. in? Yeah. No. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. I had some whacked out dream, not that night, but something about me trying to climb over a barbed wire fence and the the, the barbed wire fence got caught on my balls. Ugh. It was nasty. <laughs> Just when you hop over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything's fun. <laughs> Oh, what's it all mean? What's it all mean? And then I'm watching that funeral for the queen. I'm like, what are they carrying on? What's going on? What's going on? And then I'm thinking about all the fucking maniacs in this country who want to live underneath a, 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 a an autocrat, a ruler. They, they want, they want, 
fake elections. They want, I mean, they, they are anti-FBI. Yeah, they don't want to think, apparently. Yeah. They think the FBI is framing Trump. Don't ask what they think. They got a theory on everything. It's unbelievable. I've had it. Just leave me. I'm out of it now. No more running for president. That's it. I want Joe Biden. Let him run things. <laughs> Doing fine. Good Lord. Anybody who's just Make who him loves this king? country. Is that what you're... <laughs> anyone, no. Anyone who believes in the Constitution can be the president. That's it. Even that shithead uh, George W. Bush, when he started that phony war in Iraq, at least he believed in the... At least he stepped down when he was done. Him and uh, Cheney. Uh... Where was I? Yeah, as far as running for president anyway, it wasn't going that well. What do you mean? I'll show you. Here. When I announced for president, it made a lot of news. A lot of people wrote in, How you know, our fans want to see me be president. Howard has yeah. my vote. He's the perfect mix of Democrat and Republican that America needs right now. He has common sense and a sense of humor. Howard, you do a better job explaining the issues that are plaguing the U.S. than any other the lame asses that are in office right now. Stern and Bradley Cooper, 2024. You see, our fans understand. If Stern Cooper gets into office, we need Robin to be second lady, which means she'd be married to Bradley Cooper. <laughs> it's a win-win, yes. Yeah, Robin would be, actually be married to Bradley Cooper. He has to marry me. That's part yeah, of the deal. <laughs> that's part of it. He said yes. He wants you. He knows it'd be fun. But my announcement made real news. Newsmax, a 24-hour conservative news channel, had a guest named Joe Bob explain why my presidential Joe goals. Bob. Joe Bob <laughs> explained why my presidential goals are stupid. <laughs> he, they're already starting uh, the the noise about me against me. His ideas so far, they include stacking the Supreme Court, getting rid of the Electoral College. Joe Bob, what are your thoughts? Could he stand a chance? So if we're going to be funny about this, it's funny because of the stupidity of people who aren't involved in politics trying to throw their hat into the ring. Let's just say, hypothetically, Howard Stern actually wanted to run for president. I don't think he does. I think it's a publicity stunt. And it's a guy who tries to get attention for a living. He's got his attention. But hypothetically, let's say he wins. He then says, well, I want to get rid of the Electoral College. Okay, that is a constitutional power that you need two-thirds of the states to overturn. You can't just do that as the president of the United States. So there's that. But let's go even further. Let's just say, hypothetically, it's not a publicity stunt, and hypothetically, he somehow changes the Constitution as the president of the United States. That still doesn't mean that Democrats are going to win. I think the whole electoral <laughs> college thing is a weird talking point for the left because as you know, there are many Republicans in New York that during presidential elections, unfortunately, know that their state usually goes blue. The same in California. I would imagine that if it turns strictly to a <clears throat> popular vote election. Oh, my God. Are you for real, wow. dude? Calm down. He says he he thinks it's funny when people who aren't politicians go into politics. Isn't yeah. he a Trump guy? <laughs> Trump proved every day he didn't understand the Constitution. That explain yeah. it to him. Um, on but the Washington, he wasn't in politics, and and he voted for him. On the Washington D.C. Fox show, like it or not, host Sarah Fraser and Marino Morocco debated if I should run for president. Sarah, parlaying radio fame into power, like it or not. You know he has my vote. I mean, please, can I be his Secretary of State? I love sure. Howard. I, I, 
I adore Howard. Yes, yes. Oh my God, finally. We, I actually think Howard is very sensible. Look, he's completely did a 180 when he went to therapy, right? We all know the shock jock. I mean, we know he did some pretty, yeah, I mean, awful, outrageous things, right? But I think there's a person who survived. I think he's pretty fair. I mean, of course, you know, he airs on the liberal side, but look, hands down, I adore, I think Howard's awesome. The guy couldn't even produce his financial records, and that's why he had to drop out of running for the governor. You think he's going to do it now, Sarah? Absolutely not. Howard yes. Stern needs Honey, Trump never produced his. Yeah, his he's great on radio. Jim and I share uh, that same like. I love listening to him. I've read his books. Um, yeah, the guy's a clown. No, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> he says now he just wants it. He's like, if I'm president, there's going to be no more electoral college. Like, he needs to understand civics 101 <laughs> and how things happen. <laughs> it's one thing to say what you are for <laughs> and what you believe in and overturning Roe and all of these things. But you need to understand how that happens. Yeah. You know exactly you know, how go it in happens. and change the amendments of the Constitution. <laughs> so we can keep smart. And President can... Trump never even produced his tax returns. I love women fighting over me. <laughs> it's what you've wanted all your life. Right. It's like uh, when candidates say, I'm going to eliminate poverty. Well, yeah, all right, good luck with but that. Can but they? No. <laughs> no, but you just say it so you can get elected. I know what I'm doing. By the way, TMZ was very supportive of my potential run. They liked my ah. Bradley Cooper choice, the whole thing. They liked it. Hey, you know, when Donald Trump ran, it was it seemed just as bizarre. Howard Stern has a massive following. Everybody likes Bradley Cooper. Bradley right. Cooper is going to bring out the woman vote like none other. Oh, yeah, he's got my vote. <laughs> it could be a disaster. Who knows? The question is, could he win? And in this country? It's impossible to say no to that question. It's impossible to say no. There you go. Oh, that's nice. And let me tell you something. Out of all these shows, you want TMZ behind you because that's what people actually watch. Yeah. Forget that other shit. No. Listen, if Trump did anything in this country, his legacy is proving that any confident idiot can be president of the United States. And I'm a big <laughs> and confident idiot. you don't have idiot. to know anything. That's right. I I have I'm completely qualified. I don't know anything and I'm a big idiot. <laughs> Vote for me. Uh TMZ knows. The ladies will vote for Bradley Cooper and the maniacs will vote for me. There you go. And there's plenty of maniacs. Trust. The, 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 mostly maniacs. <laughs> Daily Mail TV pointed out that Bradley would be the first sexiest man alive to work in the Oval Office. <laughs> There you go. Well, we need some more firsts. All Bradley had to do to get the number two spot was to text Stern to say congratulations on the potential run and Howard hooked him into joining him. Bradley did have some concerns, though, like the fact that they are both two white men on the ticket, but Howard told him that he thinks people would understand because he would be such an asset to the campaign. I guess we'll have to wait to see if Bradley Cooper becomes the first sexiest man alive working in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Sherry Shepard was against me. Of course. She's on, she's on something called Dish Nation. Nation? Dish Nation? Yes. Yes. Sherry well, Shepard. Well, you know, we gave her a hard time about that flat earth thing. Oh, that's right. I forgot. She's, is that right? Is she into flat earth? She believes yeah, in the earth she, is flat. She said, I've never seen it. I don't, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know, Connie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, how do I know? I can't hey, say I for know, sure. Huh? 
Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't know. Everybody loves Bradley Cooper, though, right? You guys yeah, love Bradley Cooper, Bradley not Cooper. for vice president, <laughs> not for and not Howard Stern for president. Yeah. I, I had a re- why? At least I believe the Earth is round, honey. Reality show person for president. We only had that. It didn't yeah. go so well. Didn't go well. So, like, mm. do what you do, because it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be a lot of sex in that White House. I'm yeah, gonna tell you that. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that makes it gonna be a lot of sex. Who's having a lot of sex? Not me. Bradley, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, I would be the first best hair winner, uh, like five years in a row. And the Daily the Mail did not point that out. Mm-hmm. They missed that. The hosts and viewers of ET Entertainment Tonight Canada didn't love the idea of me running for president <laughs> either. They were against it. The whole time, I'm sitting here thinking, Robin's right there. She must be going, what about me? <laughs> You, yeah, you went yeah. outside, talked to somebody else. I've been by your side this entire time. Tell me this is a joke, though. I don't want, we don't, I'm not American. They, they don't need another celebrity running for president. We have some, uh, some interesting comments uh-huh. here. Uh, Yazzie says, fart man for president? No, thank you. Uh, yeah. Janice says, no. Bibian says, no. Mosky says, lol. Um, no. So I, I don't know if the, no. none of these people are going to be voting uh, for you, Howard. Sorry. Oh, fuck you. Aren't they in Canada? They yeah, you're in Canada. Vote. Stick to your <laughs> prime minister or whatever the hell you have up there. Um, but then um, Beth, in a private conversation with Rosanna Scotto, um, like Rosanna Scotto called Beth and said, is Howard really running for, you know, she was talking and she said, Howard really uh, running for president? And Beth's like, oh, stop it. It's, 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 it's. Anyway, so Rosanna Scotto had to get on and end my candidacy on her show. I just talked to his wife, Beth, and she said he's pulling our leg. <laughs> so don't run out there and think you're going to vote for Howard Stern anytime yeah, soon. I mean, See, she I got, got the better scoop. things to do. Well, is that the scoop? You're not running? But, <laughs> Did anyone think I really was? I mean, I'm not going to run for president. You want to make me president? I don't even know if I'd accept it. The thing went horribly anyway. We did a we did a like a street poll. Can Howard count on your vote? Forget about it. <laughs> well, you were just starting. Come on. Uh, you could change hearts and minds. Although the first woman we interviewed right off the bat, she was pretty open to it. Um. Here, I'll play you some of it if you want. Uh, what? Hold on. There's something going on today. You guys work at my computer or what? Or did you give up? Is everyone, is everyone on vacation? <laughs> oh, fuck. Let's see. Howard in the news. All right. I got it. Yeah, like I said, this was really interesting listening to the first woman was surprisingly open to my whole agenda, but mm-hmm. and then it got worse. So Howard Stern announced he's running for president. Can he count on your vote? Sure. I just love him. I've loved him since I was a little girl. I've watched him forever. He's a great man. Do you agree with President Stern turning the Lincoln bedroom into an abortion clinic? I mean, yeah, if they did that legally, that would be awesome. How do you feel about President Stern's plan to blow up the moon in order to regulate the oceans and women's menstrual cycles? That sounds insane, but I'm not a scientist, so just hearing it like that, it sounds crazy. Crazy in a good way. I guess. Howard Stern, 2024. Crazy 
but in a good way, I guess. <laughs> that was Are my you still campaign. Sticking to that blow up the moon yeah. thing. <laughs> I was going to keep that quiet and just do it once I got in office. <laughs> uh, we talked to a group of construction workers because I thought for sure construction workers would be for me. Wouldn't that be your crowd? Yeah. Two of them are ready to vote for me, but the third guy was already committed to another candidate. Here you go. How do you feel about Howard Stern's call for America to have a mandatory bedtime of 9 p.m.? Go to bed at 9 p.m.? Nah, that's too early. Too early. 11 o'clock is be good. How do you feel about Howard Stern's call to replace the national anthem with James Brown's song, Get On Up? Yeah, that'd be good. I, 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 I roll with that. Yeah, I roll with it. So would you vote for Howard Stern? Yeah, I would vote for him. You know, give him my try maybe they need some new blood in there you know i mean maybe something positive might happen hey herbert stern is a cool dude would you vote for howard stern no why because he's a clown what if howard's running mate bradley cooper was to personally ask you for your support no minister farcon how about howard stern as president and farcon as vice president no how about farcon as president and howard as vice president no howard stern is is an entertainer he doesn't know about um you know global stuff nah nah what do you feel about president stern's plan to blow up the moon in order to regulate the oceans and women's menstrual cycles oh no i gotta think about that that'd be good though if women you know didn't have so many periods and well yeah yeah all right howard stern 2024 give him a try maybe something positive might happen right maybe you never know i love all these people who say no he's a clown he's an entertainer well you had a clown president we had a sort of entertaining president uh finally we talked to a guy handing out jesus pamphlets he did not have good things to say about oh me. No, he, no 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 howard stern announced he's running for president can he count on your vote nah he's too old and too ugly and his dick is little. What if his running mate, Bradley Cooper, was to personally ask for your support? If Bradley Cooper asks, I might consider it because that motherfucker was crazy hangover one, two, and three. He's running with Howard as his vice president. Yeah, yeah, then I will go for it because then if somebody shoots Howard, then Bradley would take over and I fucking, oh, and I fucks with Bradley. Would you rather have President Stern or President Trump? I'd rather have President Stern and Trump on the card. Why the both of them? Because Jews love each other. Is Donald Trump Jewish? Yeah, yeah, secretly. I didn't know that. Definitely, yeah. His mother, his great-grandmother's name was Christ. You know, she's a pure Jew. How do you feel about a Jewish president? Oh, I would love it. You know how much money we would save? How much? Oh, trillions. Why? Because, unfortunately, from what I learned in the Jewish scriptures, the best bankers and lawyers are Jewish. Howard Stern, 2024. You know how much money we would save? I go for that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. These are the voters. These are the voters. That's why I want <laughs> nothing to do with it. <laughs> I did make some campaign commercials. Did you? Yeah. You try. You 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 actually got to the commercial yeah. stage. 
I got to, I got to meeting with a company. They made commercials. Yes. In 2014, <laughs> when hacked nude photos of Jennifer Lawrence and other famous women leaked online, one man had the courage to not look at them. I've seen so many pictures of naked women that I'm at the point I don't even give a shit. Howard Stern, ally to women everywhere. She didn't want me to see them. She wanted them to be private. In 2024, remember, Howard never looked. I don't care. Howard Stern for president. They described the Jennifer Lawrence pictures to me. See? Things like that. <laughs> Pointing out my character. How I never looked at naked Jennifer Lawrence pictures. And yeah, but, you know, that's going down a slippery slope. I don't know. That that uh, tested very well, that ad. But if people start to look under the covers, they would see that you, you watched uh, and looked at a lot of pictures. <laughs> a lot of porn. <laughs> I've seen. That weren't authorized. <laughs> Maybe. Well, then I um, played up. My military service during Vietnam, that tested very well. When America calls on Howard Stern, Howard Stern answers. You know, Vietnam was a tough time in my life. A war hero who knows how to make tough decisions. I killed a whole family once. I think it was the father, a mother, and I think like five kids. And then I say to my buddies, I'm going to toilet paper their house. A real man, not afraid to get his hands dirty. Fucking guts all over the place. I took their intestines, I tied them together, and I was jump roping. In 2020. 24. Vote for bravery. Vote for America. Vote for Howard Stern. I want to thank myself for my service. That tested very well. <laughs> that tested very well off the chart. People love a veteran. So we're going for stolen valor, too. That's not oh, going to yeah. be hard to figure out. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. So you're, it's done. And you hadn't mentioned it in a while. Yeah, well, I thought you maybe were saving I'll bring it until back. after the midterms. I'm going to wait for the people to really rise up and demand that I run. And then I'll go. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Uh, coming, oh, let me give you a couple announcements, Robin. Uh, as I said, John Hamm will be by, uh, nine o'clock to talk about Confess Fletch, his new movie in theaters and available on video on demand this Friday, this Friday, our special airing of Red Hot Chili Peppers in ah. concert at the Apollo Theater for Sirius XM small stages. That's going to air on Howard 101, 5 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And tomorrow, our friends Imagine Dragons will be stopping by and performing. Doing a couple of hit tunes for you, the people. So, there you go. Look, this is the candidate that brings you Imagine Dragons. Yeah. Who else gives you that with your <laughs> subscription? Imagine Dragons. And they will play their asses off. When I do this weekend, I spoke to you over the weekend a yeah. little bit. Quickly, Got, in between strokes, you were painting. I was painting away while I was talking to Robin. She is my muse, as you know. Most <laughs> of America knows. <laughs> she undresses over the phone and then I paint. It uh, <laughs> keeps me going. And guess what he paints? Old barns. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm you inspired perfect. me. <laughs> yeah. Something about it. I'm That's a perfect model. 
Mm-hmm. By the way, everybody, listen up to this. This is very important because something horrible is about to happen on the Howard Stern Show tomorrow. I want you to hear Coming this. Coming soon to the Howard Stern Show. Oh, the humanity. The most disgusting, shocking, depraved, phony phone call of all time. I heard you dig fisting. Um, I pretty much live for it, yeah. Well, that's great because I dig out colons. Oh, yeah. Flirty Gary is. Fisty G. Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. In Fisty Gary Calls a Fister, a two-part phony phone call event coming soon to the Howard Stern Show. If you let me fist your colon, I'll make it nice and swollen. We have never done a two-part phony phone call over two days, but this one is so vile, so disgusting. What do you mean uh, over two days? We're going to run part one on one day and part two, maybe on a following day, or maybe even give people a week to recover from this <laughs> disgusting Fisty Gary special. You, you've all heard Flirty Gary. You know what that's about. But this is Fisty. Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. It is so disgusting, so vile, that you're going to need a day to recover to hear part two. Fist call ever. Fist that whole boy. Yeah. Uh, Fisty Gary calls a guy who enjoys uh, getting fisted. Remember the guy with the ass meat? His, uh, all oh, his yeah, asshole? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy. It's unbelievably disgusting. Prepare to be disgusted. Come on, baby. Just take my fist. So gross. So unbelievably an abomination. You will almost vomit in your car. Get your barf bags ready. I keep this wrist greasy so it goes in easy. Uh, Two hardcore fisters going at it. And I am telling you, you better prepare yourself, Robin, and everyone listening. Should people pull over? I mean, is this going to be safe to listen to while driving? No, you're going to need to pull over. All the cars (laughs) that are going to be on the road tomorrow will have to pull over. And in fact, uh, call in sick now to your boss because you will be sick. <laughs> you will be sick. When you hear Fisty Coming Gary. Coming to the Howard Stern Show, the grossest phony phone call of all time. Grosser than Jeff the Vomit Guy. <laughs> Bring on the vomit girl. Oh, More disturbing than Richard's asshole. How's it look? Oh, Richard! (laughs) Wash that man's rear. More horrific than the cum hat. Where did you drop the load on the Kansas City? Right on the KC. Oh, Flirty Gary is. Oh, I'm gonna come, baby. Fisty Gary. Just imagine my asshole sliding down your fucking bicep. In. It's coming. Oh, shit, boy. I'm about to ski. Fisty Gary calls a fister. Oh, If you listen to this tomorrow, I'm telling you to not eat anything four hours after listening to the call. (laughs) I'm telling you. So there are people who, uh, like phone fist, like they They, call each other and. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it, Robin. I don't want to say anything. We're taking gross. I had no idea. (laughs) How gross has this show been over the years? We've done such horrible things that. It probably would ruin my presidency, but uh, we are going to take gross to the next level. When Fisty Gary calls a fister and they go at it. Oh, my God. And it is vile. You know, sometimes you think of Alexander Graham Bell and he 
he created this amazing thing called the phone. Yeah. And right. look at what's happened to it. We've, we've bastardized it. <laughs> Fisters talking to each other. And the grossest part of it, if I may say, for me, was how turned on this Fister is by Gary. He uh, turns everybody on. Even flirty Gary had success you could not believe. Oh. Remember when flirty Gary called Bigfoot's girlfriend and seduced her? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like to garden? Yeah, my girl pot plant. Good, because I'm looking for a hoe. You're looking for a hoe. <laughs> I hope you got experience with livestock, because I got a hog between these legs. <laughs> and I would stuff your back door like a scarecrow. Yeah, I love it, baby. <laughs> Are you a field? Because I would love to spread my seed all over you. Come plow it. Mmm. Knock, knock. Who's there? Goat. Huh? Goat over here and get this dick, girl. Nah. That's so fucking hot. Nah. 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 Oh, baby, if you keep a bleeding, I'll be a skeeting. Nah. Nah. Oh, shit, girl. You just made me jizz in my overalls. Nah. Hey, listen, I got to go clean up. Thanks for horsing around with me, boo. It was fun. Thank you, too. Flirty G out. No one can resist Flirty G, and no one can resist Fisty G tomorrow in what we're calling the grossest phony phone call ever. Grossest call ever. Fist that whole boy. You've been warned. You've been warned. If you tune in tomorrow, just get ready. You will hear it. Outrageous. You'll love it, Robin. America's sweetheart, Baba Booey. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Baba Booey, I was talking to him during the commercials. We were talking about he, 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 like me, can't get enough of this royal uh, wedding. Uh, no, funeral, it's a rather. funeral, Howard. <laughs> That's right. Whatever it is. Baba Booey. Baba but, Booey. Uh, it is so weird. Uh, the thing Gary pointed out to me during <clears throat> the commercials was that the, the latest little tidbit is the entire royal family, even that, uh, that Schmenrick, uh, Prince Andrew, who got into so much trouble hanging out with uh, Epstein, you know, they kind of banished him. Prince Andrew, schmuck, he fucking blew a great thing. That Prince Andrew gets to sit in the front. The whole royal family's in the front. They pushed Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. How far back? How many rows, Gary? Well, they said he was banished to the second row and that the brothers were as far apart as humanly possible. Um, and he was with what I like to call second tier royals which are like uh, Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie. They're not like first-tier royals. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know who took up all the room in the front row, I realize, is uh, uh, Prince William's kids, too. So right. William well, and Kate, you the know kids, Andrew. Yeah, there there's a pecking order in that family. Right. And uh, this isn't the first time he's been demoted. As soon as William started having kids, he kept dropping down in line uh, to the throne. So, yes, uh, those kids belong closer to the king because they are the next in line. Oh, I see. What you're saying is, oh, I get it. So uh, the the Prince Harry's brother is the most important guy because he's the king in waiting. That's right. He's now his the kids. Prince of Wales. Yeah. Ah. And his kids uh -huh. are next in line after him. So, but meanwhile... Prince uh, Andrew got to sit up front, huh? Did He's he get to sit in that first row? He, he did. He made the first row. 
Because wow. he's they the said, son. According to the New York Post, the exact words were that uh, Megan and Harry were squished in a corner. <laughs> wow. But you know what? It's Howard, so great. You know what's, you know what's something else I don't understand, which is weird because I've been reading this a lot too. So Harry was in the military, right? So apparently there's some places where he's allowed to wear his uniform and other places at the funeral where he's not allowed to wear his uniform. He wasn't allowed and to wear Andrew, his uniform. But Andrew was completely stripped of his uniform. They wouldn't even allow him to wear one anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I saw Prince Harry at the funeral like uh, the other brother, Prince, whatever his name William. is. William. William. He got to wear his military thing, but Prince Harry's in like a suit. But Harry he got to wear, wear the uniform somewhere else, but it wasn't Yeah, like, he was in it, it the other day. But something not as important. And Prince Andrew's such a tool, and like he's so disgraced. It turns out the Queen loved Prince Andrew the most. She loved him. But now because he fucked up with the chicks, and he was, you know, accused of all kinds of weird shit, he, he's now been reduced. He's I read this. He's caring for the Queen's corgis. He's in charge of her dogs and picking up their That's shit. That's what he inherited, yeah. yeah. So he'll yeah. always have a place because the dogs need a place. Right. <laughs> As long as those dogs are alive, he'll be okay. He's, you know, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like Fredo in The Godfather. You know, it's like, yes, definitely. Yeah. I always thought it would be sunny. You know, it'd take over. And, uh, Michael, and uh, well, well, Fredo, uh, you know, Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> I had dreams for you, Santa Corleone, Governor Corleone. But now you have to take care of the corgis. Wow. The corgis. Yeah, I heard that he actually wanted some house for his daughter, one of his daughters. Yeah. And William and Kate moved into the house. Ooh. Like, they don't even listen to him. <laughs> uh, like, we don't up. care what you, what you think or what you have to say. Right. You're lucky you're not in jail. So, keep quiet. But but the the other thing is I read that like supposedly they're mad at Harry and 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 Megan but then Harry and Megan inherited some like a billion dollar piece of property or something. Well, the yeah, queen wasn't know. angry at them. I think she was because that when they went on Oprah and they badmouthed everyone right. and said they were racist and all that shit like it it fucks up their whole scene. They got such a cool thing going. I mean that well, that kitchen. Should... I'm simply telling you that you know like she keeps Andrew around. You know, she doesn't, she's not as mean as uh, some might think. When When is this guy, Prince Harry, going to wake up one day and realize how she fucked up his whole scene? Like, yeah, okay, he went along with it, but when's he going to get resentful toward her? I don't know. Hmm. Belly aching about being a prince. Calm that down and just fucking go with it, dude. Life is hard. If you become, well, if you're if born into royalty... Oh, please. What if you were Prince Howard and Beth was being berated by the press every oh, day? I would just say, honey, here's what I would say. I'd say, sweetheart, okay. I love you. You love me. We got so much fucking dough as long as we're I'm Prince Howard. Let's just retreat to one of the fucking mansions they give us. Fuck the newspaper. We're not even going to read it. Let's become recluses. I'll paint all day. You can do animal rescue. We'll have endless funds. <laughs> we got a great place. There's no need. We'll go out to dinner once in a while, low key. And that's it. Let the press have their field day. Who gives a shit? Well, I feel that way about it. But, you know, people have thin skins. 
And by the way, Gary, Prince William just inherited a 685-year-old estate worth $1 billion. Not Prince Harry. Prince Harry ain't getting jack squat. They're not oh, giving okay. him anything. Oh, okay. All right. Because I was yeah. like, what? Yeah. But no. uh, I wouldn't be surprised. That, you know, Charles still loves his son. Mm-hmm. And I think he gives him money. I don't know. I He's think probably he does. Like, you stupid fuck. What are you fucking with my thing? I get to be king finally. And you're you're bad mouthing me. We're just barely hanging on to this yeah. kingship and this commonwealth. What are you doing? Yeah. I didn't have a kid, so you could fuck me up. You go on Oprah? He's probably like, you go on Oprah? Are you insane? I don't know how to do anything other than be king. That's what I If I had to go out and get a job, I'd be fucked. The only thing I'm good at is like being the king. And unfortunately, Harry doesn't know how to do anything but talk about his family. Right. He's another useless sort of character. <laughs> I'd sit him down and go, listen, dipshit, don't make waves. You understand? We got a good thing going here. We're a bunch of people who have no fucking ability other than being in the royalty. And and, and you love Oprah so much? How about she sends you an allowance, not me? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> What's wrong with you? But um, I don't know. That's what's going on. Hold on a second, Robert. Oh, it's Michael Caine. He's British. Tell me what's going on. Mr. Caine, how are you? Great actor, Michael Caine. Good morning, good morning. Listen, I've got the, uh, I've got the names right here. You know, it's all about, uh, making sure that, uh, everyone in the audience knows the pecking order. Cause there's a lot of British people out there who know the things, but listen, it's all sausage and mash and bran bubbles and cobblers, but you gotta stay cream. Explain to us stuff. the royalty. How does it work? Like who, what's the line of succession? Go well, ahead. Up next, it's going to be, uh, Prince of Wales, which is uh, William. William's the Prince of Wales. Now, here's a half mountain with a Jack Donald's and a Jantar. But sometimes what? the mountain ones with the one twos and the pork pies knows that the next in line is Prince George of Wales. And, of course, a right. treacle dog and bone in the trouble and strife makes the third one Princess Charlotte of Wales. You know, let's talk about when you were the, uh, in Batman and you played Alfred. I like that better. You right. like that I don't one know better. what he's saying. <laughs> Cleared it right up. Kim, you're on the air in uh, England. Kim, Kim is in England. Oh. Yes, Kim. Hello, Howard. Hello, darling. Hey, now. I treasure hey, now. you and your show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to know what you thought about this Queen's funeral, um, because Biden was invent- invited to the funeral, but no other former U.S. presidents were invited, and you know that's because Trump is a former U.S. president, and they're trying not to be rude. Because Trump's an asswipe. And, you know, the queen love... Well, they should... First of all, I don't know why everyone tiptoes around Trump. They should have invited whoever they want, and then if they if they think he's an asshole, they shouldn't have invited him, and that's the end of it. I mean, what is this? Yeah, you like... Uh, they're, they're... They're... What do you call it? They're proper here. They're nice people here and they would you know the queen loved obama and clinton and even bush yeah. and they would have invited them but trump's such an asshole they just didn't invite any of the former so presidents. wouldn't it have been a statement if they invited all the ex-presidents but trump but if they did that why is everyone because, so afraid why is everyone so afraid 
Well, that would have been a head of state uh, commenting on uh, the heads of states of other countries, and they don't do that. It's not uh, diplomatic among allies. I wouldn't invite anyone wants to be an autocrat. I wouldn't invite invite Vladimir Putin to. uh, He wasn't invited. (laughs) All right, Kim, thank you for the call. All right. Who cares? Trump, every minute I put on the news, it's fucking Trump every fucking 10 seconds. I can't get any news anymore. This, that, and the other thing. Every day they got him in a different thing, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't care. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm out of it now. I'm going to go into giving seclusion. up on this country. Yes, I might be moving. Where I'm going, I don't know. I don't know that. I, I love this country. I love the Constitution. I love free elections. I love, I love capitalism. I love democracy. I love this country, and I love what it stands for. And anyone who isn't for the Constitution, I'm not for. That's it. I'm not for this nonsense that's going on. It's a great country. And when you lose an election, you accept it. That's it. You stop with all the pissing and moaning and crybaby bullshit. It's ridiculous. I've had it. Well, how can a crybaby not be a crybaby? (laughs) Well, you get my father to parent them. He won't cry baby anymore. <laughs> Shut up. I love this country. I just hate uh, the idiots in this country who don't appreciate the freedoms they have. They don't understand what they have. This is a gem. This is, a, this is the, 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 the shining light of democracy. Are there problems? Are there things that aren't perfect? Of course. No society this large is going to be perfect. There's going to be problems. There has never been a perfect society. Have you ever noticed that about history? Yeah, that's right. But this is about as close as you can get. That's why every immigrant wants to come to this country. Because it's so fucking great. Um, the whole thing's strange to me. But look, I, I mean, I had enough. I want to just talk about farting and peeing and and. and, and Vagina. This is what I want to talk about. I'm done with this politics. I can't handle it. Uh, Marianne from Brooklyn. Uh, dear Marianne, what's up? Dear Howard, I love you so much. I have so many things to tell you, but Michael Smirconish on the you know serious uh, thing is taking a poll. Who would spend 12 hours in line to pay respects to somebody? And God forbid ever, Howard, you would pass before me. You know I damn would. You know, I, I can understand how people Thank are you. respecting the queen because they love her. And Howard, I have a candidate for uh, um, Drew Barrymore. You want to hear who I was thinking? I was thinking Jim from Raleigh. He's like a super fan. He's into her. He always loved her. I was wondering if you wanted Jim, to add him to the... Jim who? Jim, Jim, Jim from Molly. Jim from Molly. He's like a super fan. He calls Jim from Molly. Molly who? Raleigh. Jim from Raleigh. Who the fuck is Jim from Raleigh? Don't you know who he is? He he's he's a long time Howard Letterman fan. He's been to all no. your uh, all, right. all the shows. Jim, and he's, no, uh, no, no, I'm putting I, him I, in the running. Howard, there's one more thing tonight. Dancing <laughs> with the Stars and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Son is going to participate. Could you believe it? And they got the Dancing with the Stars is now on uh, a streaming. It's not on regular television. I think it's the now end of Dancing with the Stars. That makes sense to me. Yes, that makes Disney. sense to me. Disney. 
Hey, why, Robin? Why do you think they did that? I couldn't believe it was on prime time ever. Well, well obviously, Tom Bergeron. All right, who cares? I'm not watching it anymore. If it's not on regular TV, I'm not going to go out of my way. You're going to stream Dancing with the Stars. No, that's that's when I know there's something wrong with me. If I start streaming Dancing with the Stars, that's over. That's it. Didn't Free they get plug. two hosts for the streaming Dancing with the know. Stars? It's oh, it's Tyra not Tyra and, Banks? Oh, And else. somebody else. I forget who they put with her. Alfonso yeah. Ribeiro, the guy oh, from okay. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Wow, what a duo. Well, then I have to watch. It's Alfonso <laughs> Robert and... Robero and... Um, Tyra Banks, wow. Tyra Banks, yeah. How Two of them to do the streaming service. And who's the star? Arnold Schwarzenegger's son that he had son. with the maid? The one he had with the maid. Is it the one he had with the maid? I might yes. have to watch. That's why they say Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, who they had. That's how they ended. And also, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, who he had with the maid. Um, how are they going to introduce him? What does he do? I know he lifts weights. He's like Arnold. He lifts weights. But. Um, oh, Gabby from The Bachelorette's going to be on there, too. Oh, you know what? I might have to watch that. I might actually have to hook me oh, in if it's Gabby. Oh, what happened? You need to watch Gabby? Gabby's got the greatest body on a woman. that, that almost It's almost impossible, her body. Have you seen her body? No. Wow. It is the most remarkable body. She's what if the she most can't fit. dance? Will that turn you off? I can guarantee you she can't dance. But she's got a <laughs> remarkable body. She's got the body of an athlete, I'll tell you that. Beautiful body. The big titties and the skinny waist and the perfect ass. How about an see athlete's her... body? Athletes uh, usually don't have any tits. <laughs> no, that's a sexual athlete. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I want to see her in different outfits. Yeah, I'll watch. Okay, they hooked me in. <laughs> I will watch it. Now they, they got to keep her till the end of the show because that's the only thing that's got you watching. Yeah. I want to see her in different titty outfits and um, and little dre- little skirts. That's why I watch it. I'm so heterosexual. Jeez. People go, oh, you're so gay. You're so um, effeminate. You watch Dancing with the Stars. I go, no, I'm super heterosexual. I need Jeez. to see uh, girls in titty outfits and little dresses. And Jeez. I got news for you. If it's streaming, maybe if a girl has a, um, a nip slip, they'll let, leave it on. because uh, They won't cover it up. They won't put That's that right. little band-aid yeah. over it. Yeah, maybe people could curse now, too. That would be better. <laughs> yeah. But it is yeah. Disney. Come on. Well, that's right. Mm. Well, there goes all the fun. <laughs> like, I could see her wearing a little, like, dancing outfit, maybe even some, like, uh, side beefage slipping out. Ass <laughs> drinks. <laughs> Let's see. Dancing with the Stars. Joseph Baina. That's uh, Arnold's kid. They have to say Arnold's kid because it's Baina. Oh, he doesn't even get the Schwarzenegger name? No. No. That's Selma not Blair. Right. So I know Selma Blair is ill, but I guess she's well enough that she can be on Dancing with she's the Stars. She's going to be dancing. All right. Good for her. I'll root for her. Wayne Brady. Sam Champion. Wayne Brady? The- Wayne Brady. You're from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
Sam Champion. Boy, Sam boy. Champion. What happened to him? That guy had that guy had a great gig. He was the ABC weatherman on Good Morning America. You yeah. can't. You know what? The only person with a better job in America than Sam Champion is Ralph, because Ralph does nothing and gets paid. <laughs> but uh, Sam Champion almost did nothing. He was the weatherman. Good looking guy. He didn't have to be right. He just had to stand there. Nobody was tracking whether or not. Sam Champion said it's going to rain. Fire him. It's a sunny day. I mean, the, the, a gig like no other gig. Somehow he ends up leaving for the Weather Channel, thinking somehow that's going to work out. He's well, going to run his own morning show on the Weather Channel. And I think we had him on, and I said, Sam. Yes. It's great that you're getting your own show, but let me knock some sense into you. It's on the Weather Channel, you <laughs> maniac. No one's watching. You're on Good Morning America. Take a now little he's less money. on streaming. It's getting yeah. worse. Ay vey. <laughs> Poor Sam Champion. One little mistake in show business and you're out. Well, he's still, he's back on the local news. Oh, is he? Here okay. In, on All Channel right. 7, yeah. There you go. Way to go, pal. I had no idea. Uh, Teresa Guadis from Real Housewives. I don't know who that is. She's in the Real Housewives of New Jersey. She's the one I who went to prison. Her uh, husband went to that. prison. Yeah. I don't want any. I don't want anything That's to do with that. That's their claim to fame. <laughs> Cheryl Led, oi, back in the uh, day. Cheryl, Cheryl Led. <laughs> well, I mean, how old is she now? Oh, she's got to be seventy or something. Oh my god. Okay. I think she can't be older than me, is she? Could be. How old were we when? I don't know. Charlie's Angels was on. Oh, she something, yeah. huh? Cheryl led. Yeah. And Jordan Sparks Weren't from we? American Idol. Yeah. I well, I'll watch for Gabby. Somebody on that girl. So I'm sucked in now. Anyway, uh, I heard from a bunch of the fans. I told you tomorrow will be the most disgusting phony phone call of all time. Please. Uh, do not uh, listen if you're weak of heart. <laughs> if you can't handle it, I you know what am I going to tell you? We're going we're going in places tomorrow we we've never gone before. Cheryl Ladd is seventy one. Robin, wow! Yeah, I said that at least seventy. A great time to yeah. have her on. Fantastic. Oh, big orgasm! Hi, Cheryl. Uh, are you looking forward to being on uh, Dancing with the Stars? Oh, big orgasm. No, uh, no, don't, don't, don't answer me uh, seriously. Uh, are you excited uh, to be? I, uh, yes. Are you excited to be back on TV, Cheryl? Are you stroking time? your cock? Oh, you're coming on to me. I see. All right. Thank you. Come Cheryl on my Lett. gums. Come on your gums. <laughs> Come on my gums. <laughs> I certainly will. Cheryl, I love really? the taste of ball juice. <laughs> I uh, went for a walk with my wife. I told you last week about uh, the EpiPen. I, you know, she got stung by a bee. She had some allergic reaction. Her whole foot, everything was a big mess. Oh my god! And um, the doctor told us she must carry an EpiPen because the next time she gets stung by a bee, if she should, her whole throat could close up. It could be a horrible disaster. So uh, had her on the air last week. Robin spoke to her about carrying the EpiPen. She said she would, and she lied. She did not carry her EpiPen. So uh, Robin uh, said to me, well, you have to carry it. I said, yes, that is true. 
it's uh it's it's very true and uh sure enough uh, the weekend came she would not carry her EpiPen. so i took the EpiPen and i put it in my pocket and i now carry it when we take our walk because there's a lot right. th- for some reason there's always bees around her it's the weirdest thing. They're not around me. They're around her. And they're literally flying around her neck. They're flying around. I mean, it's crazy. And she's not wearing perfume. I know what you think. Oh, like or something. But for some reason, maybe it's something in her hair products. I don't know. But it's, it seems dangerous to me. Well, I notice now. But she's she's like angry. I don't understand my wife. She, You know, I usually were on the same page. And I was like, honey, I'm going to carry the EpiPen. Don't. She gets angry. She walks away from me. Then we're on the walk. I take the EpiPen out of my pocket, and I'm showing her my EpiPen. I say, honey, look, your EpiPen. And she gets, she walks away from me like in a fight. Why do you do that? She needs to know I have the EpiPen because it's funny. It's funny that, like, all I have to do you, is say you, EpiPen. You think it's funny to irritate her. <laughs> but, I mean, what? why isn't she in love with me more for carrying the EpiPen? It's kind of bulky. It's like it's really not that fun to carry. And now it's an added thing. Like when I come in the house, you know, I have to remember to put the EpiPen back in its thing right. or else I end up bringing it upstairs. I mean, it is an effort. Ah, responsibility. You know? Yeah, it's a responsibility, this EpiPen. And I'm willing to take it on. But, like, if I take it out and you show her the fucking EpiPen, she goes, ah, oh, why are you doing that? And walks away from me. Why are like you no playing sense with of humor. the EpiPen? You might drop it. Now it's dirty. Yeah, but isn't it, it funny that like all I have to do? So like we're walking, right? I did an experiment. We're walking. <laughs> I took the EpiPen out of my pocket and she was a little bit ahead of me and looking at her phone. And I could see she's got like peripheral vision, like a superhero, because all of a sudden <laughs> she completely shut down and stopped talking to me. I go. Can you see that? I? She goes, I see you took it out. I go, I took out the EpiPen, but you, how can you see that? You're walking in front of me, and I just have it by my side. <laughs> she goes berserk with this EpiPen, but I'm carrying it. And it's a pain in the ass, but I carry it. And I kind of feel like David Hasselhoff in Baywatch, like ready to save lives at the moment's <laughs> notice. I even had a fantasy finally, the other day. like finally. I had this weird fantasy that like we're walking and all of a sudden we come upon a couple and the woman is like laying on the ground choking and someone screams out. The husband goes, does anyone have an EpiPen? <laughs> and I just walk up and I go, let me handle this. And I'm like, with great power comes responsibility. And then I jab her with the EpiPen and I save her life. Like, now, I'm let me guy. ask you something. Did you read or read or uh, watch a video about administering the EpiPen? No. I did not. I know I got a twist off the thing. And then I think you hold the EpiPen next to her thigh and it does. I think I haven't done it. I will. I will watch a video, but all right. (laughs) Why are you carrying it if you don't know how to use it? (laughs) How hard could it be? Any idiot can figure it out. All right. I know I got to I got to I got to learn. I think what happens is you just hold the EpiPen on the thigh. And it injects itself. In other words, well, there's a mechanism. Well, thinking something. Now, when you do that, All right, and your wife I agree. is still choking, yeah. that's crazy. Well, I'll read up on it. I mean, I'm going to watch a video, how to administer the EpiPen. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. how many days do you walk around with the EpiPen not knowing how to use it before you do that? I know. 
I know. That's that's lame. I, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I admit it. I'm lame. Thank you for that. This kick is in the not ass. like you. This is yeah. not like you. By the way, before I take a break to talk to John Hamm, he's very excited to uh, talk to his hero, Howard Stern. Mm. Um, yeah. I just made that up. Anyway, uh, you, a lot of fans took the time to write us. I thought I'd mention a couple of these tweets and letters, emails. Um, I talked about music when I first came back on the air, Robin. I talked yes. to you about my summer of music, that I was painting and listening to music. Here's some fans seem to think I have an amazing taste in music. Howard, I don't blame you for watching that ZZ Top clip 50 million times. It's easily one of the best performances in Stern Show history, and it is. Uh, Howard, Gary Clark Jr. is so powerful. He was amazing on your show. Thanks for sharing that tremendous Hendrix cover. Howard, like you, I can't listen to Ozzy Osbourne's song changes without bursting into tears. Thanks for making me look like crybaby on my drive to work. Yes. Uh, even the Canadian rock band, A Short Walk to Pluto, thanked me for shouting them out on Wednesday's show. Thank you so much for the shout-out today. It was so surreal hearing you say our name and talk about our music. We're glad you like our covers, and hopefully you'll end up liking some of our originals, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Ah, yes. Thank you. Thank some you, people, uh, Thank Please you. don't do this. Some fans sent me letters and uh, rather uh, emails with their favorite music and that I should listen to it. And I listen to it, and it, 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 people think they know my musical taste. They don't. I, let me let, let me just handle that. Howard, I heard you recap your summer music all day. Please listen to the band Thunder Pussy. They will blow you away. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, oh I, well, if a fan took the trouble to send it to me, I should listen to Thunder Pussy. Um, and immediately I was turned off to the name Thunder Pussy. I didn't like it. I don't they like thought the name. you'd be turned on by that name. Right. See, that's what I mean. People think like I'm into that, like anything with pussy. No, that's Ronnie. Yeah. This is called Speed Queen. See, it's not. No offense to Thunder Pussy. I have very specific taste in music. listening to this all right it's not my thing i'm not putting them down i don't i don't want your do not send me music that i'm supposed to listen to and like you like that go ahead god bless you ha pussy yeah thunder <laughs> pussy ha pussy um, someone sent me a band called The Main Squeeze, did a cover of Jealous Guy by John Lennon. I love the song Jealous Guy. I think it's terrific. It's a guy apologizing to his woman or man that it's like, hey, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm just a jealous guy. It's a great fucking song. And they say, how would you got to listen to this? And then I'm stuck listening to it. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's it's fine. I mean, it's nice. I was dreaming of a past. Very good. It's terrific. And my heart was beating fast. Yeah. I began to lose control. Oh. 
I mean, it's very nice. I don't want to put this band down. I'm sure they're trying to make it. Uh, but but I don't want to listen to your choice. When I talk about what I like, that leave it at that. That's it. So there was a lot of that, and a lot of me wasted ah, my so time. So you got a lot of music, huh? Yeah. And I respect the audience. I, you know, I don't want to ignore your uh, emails and things. So I, I end up listening to it, and it takes up a lot of my day. Uh, well, I probably should take a break. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that's... There is some other things in this, this mail. People arguing about Gary's trip. Uh, his vacation, whether or not he really should have taken one, get Gary's ethnicity, <laughs> you know. Why shouldn't Gary take a vacation? Because it's enough with him. He should be working. <laughs> enough with that vacation. Uh, what else? Howard said, yeah, a lot of people went and looked at the NFL, um, the new NFL team hats, and they do look yes. like they have come all over yes. them. Um, By the way, oh, did and, you see Al Michaels did his first Thursday night football broadcast? He's uh, now at Amazon streaming. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of people had trouble finding their Thursday night football game. Well, I mean, the football people will go find, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's oh. why uh, the NFL can attract so much money, because I didn't know this, but that's the, the highest rated thing on television regular television is football by the way and robin so they can uh, command whatever they want robin a lot of people wrote in about standing ovations at film festivals this new thing that's going yeah. on where i was pointing out brendan frazier got a 10 minute uh standing ovation of the whale and uh howard i don't care how good a movie is if you're clapping for 10 minutes you're seriously deranged <laughs> Howard, I love Brendan Fraser. I'm sure his movie, The Whale, is amazing. But for the love of God, why do we need to overreact to everything? Uh, Marianne from Brooklyn said that she would give me a 17-minute standing ovation for the show we do every day. And, in fact, did it. I mean, I'll play it as it's crazy. This is um, Marianne doing a 17. It's 928, Howard. And <laughs> And by the way, she never lost steam. Really? Yeah, she never lost steam. That's impressive. I'm going to keep this clapping going, Howard, for 12 minutes. Forget that woman, Regina. She did it for 17 minutes. Well, God bless her. There you go. And um, one day, maybe I'll play you the full 17-minute clip. Yeah. If you can handle it. Robin's boyfriend is with us this morning, John Ham. Everyone loves John Ham. Does he know he's my boyfriend? He knows <laughs> or is he now. cheating on me? <laughs> no, he knows. He knows. He knows what he is. And uh, John Ham, of course, <laughs> great actor. The man loves show business. Look at him. He, you, Be you quiet. I'm trying to business. take him in. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny thing with looks, John. Uh, first of all, tell all the punks in my audience how difficult it is to get an acting career. I mean, everyone thinks it's an easy haul. Until Mad Men, there were many times in your life you were going to call it quits. It, you'd had enough. You were like, I'm going to have to get a real job. Am I correct in all seriousness? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I think I gave myself, I came out to Los Angeles and when I was 25 years old and I gave myself 
five years. I figured a lot of things can happen in five years. If I'm if I'm not doing what I want to do by the time I'm thirty, it was a nice round number. Five years is a good amount of time. Um, if I'm not doing what I want to do by the time I'm thirty, then maybe the the, the market has spoken, so to speak, and uh, it might be time to find something else to do. Um, but uh, yeah, and I turned thirty on on the set of my my first uh, feature film that I worked on. So that was like I was like, oh okay, I actually don't have to wait tables anymore. In other words, you know when um, when you start out the career. It's a one in a billion shot. If you thought about the odds, you would do not do it. And then as you get older and you see all your friends start to make money, they have homes, they get married. Um, I know even for my career with radio, I, I was like, my, my, my best friend in the world is a doctor. He's already like living in a house. He's got, what am I doing? Because I'm making $96 a week. <laughs> am I insane doing this? And your parents think you're insane and everyone thinks you're insane. Because, you know, when you don't come from a showbiz family, you, it seems impossible. It's well, difficult. Yeah, and I, I certainly didn't have the, the, the parental uh, uh, ridicule. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, you're correct. It's a long shot by, by any stretch of the imagination. And I've always been sort of, all of my friend group, I've, I've just kind of been the opposite of whatever was happening. You know, when my friends were getting married, I was single. When I was with somebody, I, they were getting divorced. When I was breaking up with my, you know, it was, I was always on the other side of, of whatever was happening. When I, when, when people were, were day trading and making thousands of dollars in dot com thing, I, w I had no money. And, you know, it was, it, I was just, it was, I was on the wrong side of everything. Was your thought that if I don't make it in show business, you know, Mad Men never came along or movies never came along or something that you would go back to teaching at that private school. Was that the game plan there, like in your head? There was. Yeah, there was some version of that for sure. Um, in fact, that I was offered an extension of my contract uh, when I was when I was teaching there. I went back to my my uh, my high school, John Burroughs High School in St. Louis and uh, taught right after college because I needed a job. Right. I, was, I graduated with an English degree and wanted to be an actor in St. Louis, Missouri. It was like there w wasn't a lot of like uh, opportunities there. Um, so, so that was really fun, and I really enjoyed it. And I had a lot of great kids and great students. And um, but yeah, they said you want to come back, you want to do this. And I thought, you know, I kind of, I kind of in my head went down that line, down that road, and I was like, oh, I could see kind of this happening, and and me this becoming a career for me. But then, you know, it's it's the two saddest words in the English language, right? What if? So mm. I, I, I really would have felt like I would have missed out on that opportunity. And I was 24 turning 25. At that point, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, and so I just headed west. Was the decision to become an actor based on appearance, too? Because, of, listen, when you got cast in Ally McBeal 100 years ago, your part was good-looking guy at the bar. So, like, I believe you, when it was gorgeous you, guy at the bar, Howard. Yeah, gorgeous. You're, you're right, gorgeous guy at the bar. <laughs> when do you realize in your life that, like, what, what age are you when you realize you've been given this gift of being a really handsome dude, and that it would make sense for you to? Be, I bet you a lot of people used to say you should be in Hollywood. You're a good-looking man. What what age does it kick in that you realize you have that superpower? I, I I have no, I don't know. Is the is the answer to that? Is the only answer I can give to that question? I really Seriously? don't know. I, I know you, yeah. you want to be. You want to be. Um, I'm not humble. being. I'm not being false. It's not false humility either. It's just, it's a simple. You know, my particular my growing up was all about 
being from a from a you know raised by a single mom until that didn't happen and then and then kind of raised by the community was was more about kind of fitting in and 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 achieving and and hopefully being good at whatever it was that was in front of me whether it was school or sports or this or that and by the time i got to uh pursuing acting really in a real way was i was in college and i ended up getting a scholarship to do it and it, it was j- literally just something i was like i think i'm good at this i think I, I can i have no fear of standing up in front of people and making loud noises basically so that was kind of all all that i've uh looked at as as a as, as something that i enjoyed uh and then being good looking or, or what have you so it's obviously it's so subjective too um, that you can, whatever, somebody's, somebody's great looking guy is another person's, you know, doesn't get the second look. So I, I never really had a sense of that. I went in for that part, uh, gorgeous guy at the bar, and the one uh, interviewed me. It was, <laughs> I never didn't even get an audition. No, but, you know, you talk you had about, a job. You talk about your childhood. I'm trying to dismantle this thing because I think you had a horrible childhood. And I think it's a sad childhood. And it's something that is crippling. And I want to know how you got over it because I'm fascinated by this because I'm still living my childhood. In other words, um, your parents uh, have you. They get divorced when you're two years old. That's already a tragedy, right? As a two-year-old and your mom gets custody of you and she's raising you pretty much. Your mother dies when uh, when you were 10 years old. That is the biggest tragedy of all. Uh, you know, my mother uh, is one of the saddest people I know. Her mother died when she was nine. And she said, I was an orphan. She goes, my father didn't take care of us. He sent us away. And I cry when I hear about it. And I was thinking about you. Your mother died when you were 10 years old. Do you have any memory of her? Can you remember things oh, about sure. her? Really? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, vividly, in fact. Um, uh, and in fact, at, at, at weird, uh, inflection points in my life, I would have sort of vivid dreams, uh, about that my mom would sort of take place, would, would appear in. So when I first went over to college, when I moved to LA, all, at all these kind of, you know, important points in my life, I would, I would manifest this, this memory of my mom and she would sort of be very comforting and say, okay, I think, you know, it's going to work out. This is going to be great for you. And, but there's and no ache. wake up in absolute tears, but there's no ache like uh, losing oh, your mother. Yeah, you're there's correct. No- you're, and I'm still, it's still, unpa- I'm still unpacking it, you know, in, in the same way that as, as, as you say, your, your mom probably still is, you know, there's, there's no, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a wound. It's a trauma. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a it's a serious thing that if you don't, if you ignore it, will it, it only gets you know more kind of tangled up and and becomes this this real uh, you know uh, object blockage really in your emotional life and in your in your real life. Because yeah, I've spent my life trying to understand. My mother's ninety four; she's not doing well. And what do we sit and talk about? I talk about this horrible part of her life where her mother died. No one told her anything about it they didn't even tell her her mother died and then her father says i don't know how to take care of you and pushes her out the door and so she's never and she's never gone to a shrink she's never dealt with it she's never talked to anyone about it and i say to her you even at this age i go mom talk to me about it what's to talk about well uh, she goes you know 
Uh, sure. I can't imagine the pain. And, and, and from what I read about you, your father takes you in, who's now, you know, remarried and everything. And he doesn't have the emotional bandwidth to sit and talk to you about no. the death of your mother. No one addresses it. It's like my mother's story. No one says to you. It's, a, I, think it's I think it's gener it's kind of generational too. Uh, obviously, f for your mom, but f even for me, you know, I was when my mom died, and she she had very aggressive cancer that was in her colon, and then it it, it, it they didn't get it in time. And again, this is in the, the late seventies, early eighties. This is before that you know the technology they had they had, but but even for, does that drive me, you crazy? Does that drive you crazy? Yes. Like, do you, yes. you constantly go, gee, if she if they had just had the technology, yeah. they could have saved their life. Yes. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, it's a, I've had, I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've probably had four and a half colonoscopies. Don't ask me about the half. Um, right. Meaning. I, what is the half? Um, I, <laughs> I literally. Things went wrong. No idea. You didn't clean out <laughs> properly. Wrong, wrong hole. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that's awful. Awful. No, 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 awful. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, but yeah. no, I, I've had, I've had, I'm very, very aware of, of making sure that that doesn't happen to me right. because it's a utterly preventable uh, situation right. um, but but when i when my you know when i basically watched my mom uh wither away uh over the course of a, a month or a month and a half um and then she and it eventually passed away you know i'm watching all the adults around me i'm 10 years old and no one's as you say no one's saying anything to you no one knows what to say this is a different generation. This is my my mother's father was a Navy guy from World War II. He he never talked about the war. He never talked about anything that was that was difficult. And uh, that's because that's not that's what you that's what you did or didn't do in that particular case. And in fact, I was given a book, <laughs> uh, um, you know, fairly slim, not uh, title book uh, called "What to Do When a Parent Dies." And that was my therapy. Here you go, kid. Who, hand, who who thought to give you the book? The, the lady at the hospital, the the caregiver at the hospital, um, wow. who was their mental health expert. Did you read it? It was. I sure did. Cover to cover. Yeah. I figured, well, I might as well. I got nothing but time. And uh, I can't and it imagine was how is it unhelpful. Do you do you ever sit and say to yourself, "How is it in my life? My father didn't come up to me and say." Your mother's died. Son, let's go. Let's take a walk and talk about it. Let me know how you feel. See, I can't get over it. I cannot blame it as a generational thing because I know guys who had fathers my father's age and they talked to their kids and they called them son and they were, you know, communicative with them and all of that stuff. It's weird to me. It's it, it would drive me crazy, John. If my father never turned to me and put his arm around me and said, your mother has died and I want to help you with this. It's crazy. Well, like, it's like you said, there just wasn't the bandwidth. Like, I just don't think there, he, it's like not speaking the language, right? It's, it's like trying to communicate in a, in an emotional language or a vulnerability or a, or a, um, a way that you just don't, you don't have the tools. He didn't have the tools. Yeah. I, I don't blame him for it. I certainly don't blame him for it. Do I wish that there was somebody in my life that was at that point that was able to, uh, ease that pain for sure? Because I'm still dealing with it. Obviously, you know, that's like, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that if you don't, like I said, if you don't deal with it, it just, it just festers and becomes this larger and larger presence. Did you find anyone, were you smart enough? I wasn't smart enough, but were you smart enough 
to go find people like like find a mother someone who could mother you a mentor your father couldn't do it were there people in your young life that really meant something to you where you said well i can get something from her she can stand in for my mother or did you just shut down no i for sure found you know sort of replacement uh parents whether they were teachers i i i was very involved in in this school that I ended up going back and teaching at. The teachers there were very checked in. You know, they were very relatively small classes. I had very good friends. I had very good friends who had parents that were very aware of my uh, situation, and I think stepped up in a, in a real way. Um, you mean friends of yours, mothers would step up and kind of yes, uh, take mother, you? Yeah. Exactly. Would, would, exactly. would your friends get jealous that, that their mothers were were uh, kind to you? Was, uh, was it not that I know of? Um, you know, right. I don't. I don't think that they've certainly uh, paid more attention to me uh, at the expense of their own kids. I just think I was sort of swept along as almost a surrogate, you know, brother or you know what have you. And it was it was wildly. Um, effective you know it was it was on on several occasions i they had stepped in whether whether it was financially or or what have you it was uh real and um and you know it's it's a it's a uh i think that that that's you know what, what the, the trite saying is it takes a village right but it right it does i mean it really is part of it's it's why i believe in community it's why i believe in giving back to the institutions that that helped you nobody gets through this by themselves this ridiculous idea that that, that that there's this rugged individualist that can go it alone is is so wrong headed in my in my experience because uh i would not be where i am i would not be remotely where i am without the help of others what about your dad's wife? Was she good to you, or was it? Uh... Well, see, I, I, I don't. That's. I think that you might have been misinformed on that. My my mom was my dad's second wife. No, I know that. So my didn't he remarry? My, my dad never got remarried. No, ah, he never got remarried after okay. my mom died. Gotcha. Because his I first wife remarried. also also died very suddenly, and my two half sisters lost their mom as well at the age of I think they were seven and eleven. And she Jeez. died of a brain aneurysm, so she just like really, really just basically dropped dead. Um, and when you went to school, so, yeah. but when you went to school, you went to a really fancy private school, but you didn't have a lot of money. But your mother, before she died, said her dream was for you to go to private school, right? And she saved a, up a bunch of money and left it for your education, which is unbelievably yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, what a, yeah, what a wonderful her, thing. Her. her uh you know, this, it was, it wasn't just any private school. It was this particular school because she had met, um, a, a mutual, a, a friend of ours, uh, who I still consider my aunt to this day, my aunt Nancy. Uh, her cousin was this sort of very well read, smart, funny, interesting guy that she had met. And she was fascinated by this guy. Was like, Where did you go to school? And I was a, you know, a toddler at this point. And he said, I went to John Burroughs school. And he said, she said, that's where I'm sending my son. Uh, so uh, on her was, deathbed, she said to you, well, this is what I'm doing for you, son. I want you to learn. I want you to, I want you to go to this school and make something of your life. It wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but, but basically that, that was definitely imparted to me over the course of my you know young life that, 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 that first of all, that education was an achievement to be, 
to be, uh, you know, sort of, uh, pursued for sure. It wasn't this idea that, oh, if you're, if you're smart, then you're somehow better than somebody else or whatever. It was like, yeah, go, go study, work hard, do what you can. Um, and yeah, that was a big part of, of what she wanted for me. And so that was a big part of what I then wanted for myself. What a fantastic woman your mother must have been to, to she was, put away. She was a great, great lady. I mean, you know, and this is in the seventies. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> it, it's in St. Louis. The idea of being divorced was very out of the uh, ordinary, but uh, I don't think I met another kid that had a single mom until I was probably in like ninth grade. Right. So, so, you know, like it was, it, it was what was normal for me was completely abnormal in the, in the culture or in the, you know, in the society for sure. Yeah. Divorce wasn't so prevalent. It's like, uh, you didn't, it meet was, but it kids. was, you know, it was kind of in on, on the coasts for sure. You know, all the, you yeah. know, Jill Clayburgh movies and, and, you know, there, there was a lot <laughs> not, of, uh, not in, St. Louis. in the culture, not in St. Louis, not in Catholic St. Louis, you know, it was very, uh, it was very out of the ordinary. How uh, how good were you at sports? You, it, it seems to me like whenever I read about you that you were like an exceptional athlete when you were in school. I was I was very good at sports up to you know in high school. I was never. What did good you play? To uh, I played football. I played baseball, and I was a swimmer. Oh shit! And those were the ones that I liked. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. And again, there there's another example of. Um, that kind of structure and that kind of team and that kind of community that those sports, not so much swimming, but, uh, but, but certainly baseball, football and gender is that kind of like, you're part of a team, you're part of something, you're part of the, for want of a better word, a family. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, that was very in informative to my, my, you know, growing up. And certainly as a young boy, all you have is extra energy and you're just, were you a quarterback? Run through a wall. No, I was a middle linebacker. Jesus, you must have had a good high school experience, not like mine. I mean, the good-looking guy <laughs> plays sports excellently, good student, right? I mean, uh, well-read and, and did, did your studies. You must have been quite the fucking phenom, right? I mean, you must have been one of these popular dudes. Who I was, did. I was, I was, I was fairly, I was fairly popular. I remember going back to, at some point going back to, and I had forgotten about this and this is certainly not tooting my own horn, but I remember going through the thing and we had our little graduation pamphlet, whatever it was of everybody's, you know, thing, whatever. I was like, what are these, uh, why, why is there asterisk by some, somebody's, some of our names, I had an asterisk by my name. I was like, did I not graduate? Like what? What happened here? And then my friend was like, "No, idiot! That was that meant you graduated with honors." And I was like, "I did. Like I didn't know that. Like, yeah. Oh, like oh, okay. I remember being very proud of my academic achievements as well as my sporting achievements, but I also remember it being uh, understanding that that was high school. Like that was like you know that was a the first step in a in a situation. So I knew that there was. That, that, that you know nobody wants to be the guy that peaks in high school obviously so no I but you were a golden boy was... and that when you went out to hollywood to become an actor and it doesn't happen for you like that in a way it might have been even an extra sort of like kick in the ass because you were for used sure. to yeah you were used to being the guy 
Well, I remember when I first came to Hollywood, I just remember drive because I drove out to Hollywood in my 1986 Toyota Corolla that uh, overheated if you uh if you did i had to blast the heater that's how i had to relieve the heat on the engine (laughs) Um, which makes no sense but it does makes no sense but it and so yeah and i remember getting to la and driving on the 10 freeway into la and going and i was like i made it i'm here but i wasn't i was in you know west covina or some you know exurb of of hollywood and i and then like and it was like the scene in swingers when they're like vegas baby we're all we're almost there we're almost there and then eventually they're just tired and they can't even get it up to say vegas baby but it took another hour and a half of like sitting in la traffic before i got to before i even saw the hollywood sign i was like oh i'm nowhere near hollywood this is a way bigger place than i thought and that was that was the first and there used to be this 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 map that everybody was given you might know this but it was like a it looked like a phone book it was called the thomas guide and that was the map of la and i was like are you kidding me like the map of st louis could fit on my hand like this is this is the map of la so i was i was incredibly overwhelmed by the by this scale i can't imagine and then and then the idea of like break breaking into some business career yeah, well, business that I had no, really no connection to whatsoever, other than I had a piece of paper that said I could, could act in college. How do you, right. Yeah, here, here's my acting credentials when I was in college. <laughs> what, what do you, what, what do you make of like, like when you get out to LA and like all of a sudden, like, like how do you even function? Like, did you know, like, how do you get an apartment? How do you, what do you do? Like, well, that was the other friends? Thing. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's almost quaint. I had a couple friends from from school that were out here doing various jobs and gigs and what have you, kind of surviving. Uh, and I knew the one person that I knew that had a had a Hollywood career was Paul Rudd, um, who I knew from back in the Midwest. He went to KU with the older brother of of a girl that went to high school with me, who I dated in high school, and then uh, she ended up becoming an actor as well. Oh yeah, and, wasn't this uh, you and Paul Rudd and like were were in college or something? Were trying to win this girl over? You were like competing with for this girl. Become it's sort of become apocryphal at this point, but not not uh-huh. quite. But but uh, but Paul uh, was the roommate at KU of 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 Sarah's older brother Preston, so he would come back for weekends and what have you. And and you know Paul had the long Michael Hutchins hair. He had the cool. <laughs> Duran Duran jacket like I it was like he was everything that you thought the cool guy from college looks like in 1988 uh and so I knew Paul and I had had, over the course of um college I had gone to come out to LA to sort of for spring break or whatever to come out for a week and I hung out with those guys and, and I thought okay like and he had he had just done Clueless, and he had just done, uh, I think he was going to go do uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. So, like, he was on his way. We knew. And, and he, he was, was nice to you? In other words, fine. he hadn't he hadn't adopted a star attitude? Like, absolutely. Yeah, guy. absolutely. Totally. Like, well, oh, man, it's great. You're coming out. That's awesome. And I remember saying to him, just like, look, dude, I'm not going to, like, blow up your spot. I'm not going to, you know, all, all I need is one phone number. Just give me one phone number of somebody that I can call that can be helpful in some way 
for this experience. And he did. He, he gave me the guy who was his first manager. He said, call him. He knows everybody. And I sat in a room with this dude for like three hours. The guy just talked and talked and talked. And I was like, I guess this is a good meeting. I don't know. This is just is like a whole thing. But I ended up getting an agent out of that. And then, uh, and then I ended up going on a million auditions and not getting any of them. I was over a million. Oh, for a million, like, do you think it's because, were you a bad actor? Like, in other words, did it take you time to develop, or were you just a bad auditioner? What was going wrong? I mean, you know? I remember I remember reading reading Steve Martin's book, his autobiography, and, and talk. he talks about how yep. auditioning is the worst. And it is. It's just the worst. Yep. And I remember reading the story of um, Renee Zellweger getting Jerry Maguire. And it's, and it, uh, and he, literally she would go in audition after audition. Everyone's, you're the best. You're the, you're the one we want. You're the thing. And then she had toward the end of that thing before they started, before they gave her the part, she had one bad audition. And then everybody, the whole team was like, well, maybe not. I don't know. This is not the, mm. this is not the, maybe this isn't the right person we really want to bet on. We don't know, you know, and, and when you're an unknown quantity, which I was certainly then. Um, it, it, the, it's so easy for the powers that be to just go like, who is this kid? We don't know. He's, he's un, he's unproven. He's untested. He's, if he's, if he folds like this in the audition, then who knows what it's going to be in the thing. And, uh, and that was, you know, I, <laughs> I auditioned for big movies and big TV shows and all of the things. And, and I, I, Not that- I still to this day joke to John Favreau that he beat me out for a part in, uh, in, I think it was a movie called Deep Impact. How is that possible? Uh, about, <laughs> You're uh, up against John he, Favreau. No offense to John, but I would think <laughs> you wouldn't even be up for the same part, but, uh, it was, uh, it, uh, well, he got it. He got it. He, he that's uh, debilitating. He, he you probably say something. Didn't. John Favreau got the role over me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about this guy, Paul Rudd, who I know a little bit. I mean, I've interviewed him, but, but, uh, what a generous guy. You know, I don't know if I, like, if you showed up at my door and you're like, Hey, just give me the name of someone. Help me out here. And I'm like, hey, fuck this guy. He's a good looking dude. I don't need him. He's going to be, he's going to, I don't need him doing well. Competition. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. He, you know, Paul, Paul has always been that way. And is um, throughout my career in life has been, you know, we've been friends for going on 30 years now. Uh, or or over 30 years, I should say. How close is the uh, friendship? In other words, do you call him once a week? Do you speak to him? I mean, or is it just kind of like now it's like, you know, I think everybody's gotten gone from phone calls to texts at at a certain point. So yeah, but we'll, you know, we're in five fantasy football leagues together and and, I'll go up and see his kids in his house upstate. And Oh, he's he's, a good friend. Yeah. 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 And, and, and has been for, for some time. Uh, But yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a fun, it's, it gets back to what we were talking about. It's, it's a hard enough thing to do, uh, anyway, to do it alone is, is ridiculous. He told a great story. I guess you've, you've heard it a million times, but he was a DJ and like a wedding DJ or something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and oh, yeah. Had, so, had, you know, he had, yeah. He, he had a lap well, dance like a 13 year old girl or something that he said, this is it. I'm out of it. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I, he was a, humiliated. Yeah, very, you know very different that. times. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, and I don't think I'm talking out of school here. In fact, I, Joe Buck, who's also a very good friend of ours, 
the, uh, the announcer from St. Louis yeah. as well, the announcer, the sports announcer, and and Joe Buck and I went to one of Paul's gigs <laughs> in the whatever early nineties. Yeah. To pick him up because we were all going to go out and have a have a night, and so uh, there's some thirteen now whatever forty seven year old woman who most likely still lives on the west side of Los Angeles, who had at her bar mitzvah Paul Rudd, Joe Buck, and John Hamm, <laughs> and was uh, blissfully unaware of all of it. And it was yeah, I mean that's that was his, th- and we were jealous of him having that job. That was a good paying gig. <laughs> yeah. A bar mitzvah DJ. Oh my God! I'm surprised you didn't try your hand at it. I mean, uh, I, what was I had I had uh, no skill at that whatsoever. There was there was nothing. I would have played. Ended up playing, you know, classic rock. It would have not gone well. Right. The kids wouldn't be up dancing. What was his? Then he had a character, Donnie the Dweeb. He told me like, uh, yeah, like, like uh, he yeah. he would do this. He would do this dance called the Dork Dance that that became a. <laughs> As you, as you must most likely know with like, right. uh, that, that circuit is fairly small. So then right. if you have any kind of, of, of juice on that thing, it becomes like, well, you got to do the dork dance. Oh, cool. And then it's a, I think you ended up charging more for it. I mean, it was like, wow. you know, if you want the dance, then it's going to be another, you know, 50 bucks, but. So you, you, Paul Rudd and Joe Buck were good friends. That's amazing. They, all three of you guys made something of yourselves, but uh, you know, big deal. Yeah. It's I mean, pretty it, big it deal. is, it is, it is, it is a pretty weird, uh, cluster of, of luck or talent or what have you. And, and yeah, you know, Joe was obviously successful at, and in his, in his teenage years, he was doing minor league ball games before he even graduated, uh, college. And then, uh, and then Paul was, was really successful kind of right out of the gate. Oh, and that's so hard. Pulling up, the, pulling up the rear in my, in my mid thirties. It's so difficult when you have friends who are achieving. I remember going to college. There were guys who dropped out because they got jobs as anchormen like down South. And I'm trying to be a radio guy and I'm like such a douche. And I'm thinking, I'm just not going anywhere. These guys all have talent. I have zero talent. I just remember thinking it's, 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 I don't even know how I continued on. It was just so crazy. I don't know. Hey, well, and then- I mean, it's, 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 it's the stick to Obviously it's, it's doing what you clearly love and that, that sort of feeds that fire for sure. But then there's, right. you know, there's, there's, you can have all the talent you, you want, whatever the definition of that is. And if you don't have an ethic to like get up and go to work every day, Right. For whatever reason, then, then what's the point? It's wasted, you know, and, and I think that you can certainly point to your career and say like, well, you certainly, I mean, you just got to stay with it. Four thirty in the morning to be on the show. Like you got, <laughs> right. you've had to do that for the last 40 years. I mean, yeah, it's it ain't easy, man. And I'm not getting any younger, but, uh, one of the jobs I read you had before you made your big success on Mad Men, which was a game changer. And, and, but, but you were, were in LA, you're, you're going out and auditioning. And I think all that auditioning yeah. and everything made you the actor you are today because for you sure. get more and more for relaxed. Sure. You start to learn your thing, but it amazes me. And I'm so curious about this. You got a job. As a, uh, what they call a set dresser on softcore porn, uh, films. Yeah, like a Skinamax movie, right? Right. Like where people would, you know, it, it, it's softcore porn. And right. 
I remember when I was desperate looking for a job, I, I ran into a guy who was a film editor, but he edited porn. And I remember going to my to parents and saying, going. well, no, I, I, I was like, I want to take this job. Maybe I could get into editing films. I didn't know what uh -huh. I was going to do. It was hard to get him radio. And my parents were like, no fucking way. You're not doing it. But that is a job. At least you're on a set. You're in something of show yes. business, right? I understand yes. that. Yeah. It was I, I, for sure show business adjacent. Right. <laughs> right. Is it, is it, do you, even watching that had to add to your sort of thoughts about how to be on set? I don't know about that. That was definitely like, I, I remember I got that job because a, a girl who went to college with me, who was like our stage manager for all the, the, the plays that we did, who is now a, uh, a director and a professional stage manager and like in, in the union and all this stuff. So she's, she's done all right for herself too. But we were all sitting, a couple of, of our friends from college were all sitting around at like a potluck dinner where, you know, somebody, we had no money. I mean, it was literally like a big thing of pasta with a jar of sauce in it and let's all share it. <laughs> Sounds good. And, and it was, uh, we were all lamenting the fact that none of us had jobs and we're sitting around like, what should we do? You know, does anybody have a line on, on a waiter job, a bar to anything, a catering? And our friend goes, you know, I've been doing this set dressing thing for these like, you know, kind of soft core Skinamax things. And we're like, really? And he's like, yeah, it pays a hundred bucks a day. We're like, a hundred bucks a day. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, you that's living large. Like, <laughs> you, why are you buying course. dinner? Um, and she's like, yeah, I, can't, I really can't do it anymore. It's just, it's just debilitating from a, you know, soul standpoint Humanity. and everything else. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> so she goes, she, I have you know, no this soul. is on a Friday. I have no soul left. I'm, it's all right. been trampled out of me by now. Right. And, uh, and this was on like a Friday. She goes, okay, good. Monday, show up. She handed me a five gallon, you know, like a Home Depot bucket. It had a Polaroid camera in it, some like tape, uh, a staple gun, you know, like all this tools that I needed. I'd never, I had no concept of what a set dresser was. I didn't know what it was. And what in is the it? art department? Yeah. Basically, it's like you're make, you make sure the set looks, looks right. So you right. put all the stuff in, you know, you, you clean the ashtray or whatever, you know, it matches what it did at the beginning. You take a Polaroid that in those days, a Polaroid of it. And then you look at the polar. Okay, the thing was here, and the couch was here, and the and the end table was here, and the light was here. And because when you move the camera, you have to move all that shit out of the way, and 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 right. then you have to move it move it back. It, it just happened. It just so happened on this thing that there was like naked bodies in the way, and you're kind of like, sorry, but, man. Hey, scoop coming in here, windex the uh, the glass table, and uh, you know. But it's actually an important job. I mean, I remember on Game oh, of yeah, Thrones, sure. they left a coffee cup on the scene, and that exactly. created, the, you know, created habit. Yeah, you leave a water bottle in the wrong place, and it's all of a sudden you're not in <laughs> Westeros anymore. Yeah, you can't fall asleep on that job. You got to be, you got to be sharp. But it was, it was twelve hours a day. It was we shot in this. It wasn't even a soundstage. It was twelve hours a day, a built-in quote unquote overtime. You got basically got paid in cash. Yeah. So there was no taxes or any of that stuff. And I remember it was just, it would start at seven in the morning, go to seven at night every day, five days a week. And that was basically paid for my, you know, rent for, I don't know, a month and a half. I, I didn't do it for very long. It was, it was you as described. Away. It was very soul, really? soul crushing. <laughs> Why is it I did so it for crushing? Probably about three or four weeks. It was just, it was just kind of, it's sad, sad.
you know, it was yeah. just, it was like, oh, you know, and there, but for the grace of God, you go, okay, well, this is, I, I, now I know what I don't want to do. And it's well, this. you, you being the handsome man you are, you know, the guy who was cast as gorgeous guy at the bar. I'm surprised they didn't say to you, hey, what about you? Get in there and, and uh, you, know, you know, do a couple of scenes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, it was never offered. They did not offer the, uh, the set dresser Boy, what uh, shit is they, they, they weren't thinking. It's really crazy. I mean, they, they I had also, gold I've right never, there. I've never, and I don't know if, uh, I, I don't remember the titles of these movies or if they even had titles, honestly. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I've never, I've never seen one. Wow, you know, I've, I I don't I I don't maybe they didn't even exist. I don't. It's all fever dream. I have no idea. But no, it's I've never seen the. I, I don't know if they've seen the light of day. I don't think I ever got. Uh, at least on IMDb, I'm not credited as a set dresser. So, <laughs> so what was the first big gig like? So you could say, hey, fuck this. I don't have to take jobs as waiters and set dressers, and I'm poor, and I can I can start being a professional actor. When did it finally kick in? Was it that the show, The Division, with uh, on Lifetime? close that was the first time i was a, a series regular on a show the first time right. i was steadily employed on a show was a, t a tv show called providence um starring mike farrell from uh, mash and melina canacaritas who i think was on csi in new york or something at this point right um and i was cast as a as a guest star just a one-shot I come in, I'm a bartender, and then it's like the Halloween episode, and I dress up like Zorro. It's very complicated. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a lot of work. There was, there was a lot going on. Were you so uh, excited? I mean, was it like, oh, finally. I was over the moon, over the moon. And I think I, I, think I had, uh, I think it was basically like one day of work. All of, all of our stuff, all of my stuff was in the bar because I was a bartender. And, uh, so it was basically one day of work, but it was more money than I had probably made the year up to that. So, or the couple years up to that. I mean, I think I did a tax return one year and I made $2,400 Jesus, in a year. That was like the, yeah. 200 bucks a month. Uh, so, but so, <laughs> so I got, I got this job and it was a, it was a one day deal. And I remember it was directed by Melanie Mayron, who, who was on 30 something for, for years. And still directs a lot of TV, um, but I, I I got this job and I was like, "This is so great!" And and I remember my agent calling and said they they might want to bring you back. And I was like, "Oh, because I because I didn't do a good job. Like I have to like redo <laughs> it. it. Like yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like I have to like do do it over." And they're like, "No, no, no! Like like in another episode." And I was like, "Oh." Would I get paid like the, <laughs> this immediately? Like, <laughs> do, I get get the same, do I get any extra money? <laughs> <laughs> uh. And, uh, and they, she, they said, yeah, you do. And, uh, and then I found out they wanted to bring me back for six episodes. Wow. So I was like, Oh my God, that's, um, that's amazing. Like that's that I'm doing the math. I can pay off my this. I can pay off my that. I can, uh, okay, cool, cool. So I did that and they established this character and the, the character becomes a love interest for the younger sister on the, on the show, an actress named Paula Kale. And, um, and it was, that was my first gig, really. You must have been uh, out of your mind happy. Oh I was my God, you're an actor. Mind. I was shooting, I was shooting in Universal Studios. The, the tram would go by my, my trailer. 
uh, every five minutes, you know, you have the guy, there's the same snippet of dialogue because they're on such a loop, you know, it's just every five minutes that, and I remember going on that, on that universal tram ride with my mom when I was nine years old. Wow. Uh, the first time I visited LA and I was like, wow, this is sort of a f full circle kind of moment. Did your father uh, get to uh, see you make it? Like, did your father live long enough to see you uh, get that role on Mad Men? Or um... no, 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 no. He no. he died when I was twenty, so I oh, wasn't. Even, I wasn't even out in L.A. I wasn't even graduated from college yet. So nobody shared. Who do you share that happiness with when you when you? Well, my stuff? aunt, my you know my, yeah. my my grandparents. You know, there's there's there was there's a few survivors. My sisters. You know, there's and 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 honestly, my um. The moms that I was mentioning to you are still very, you know, I'll, I'm, I, they have to have a Google alert or something because I get a every time a, any kind of thing comes out. Oh, I can't wait to see you in the morning. That's so nice. Whatever it is, you know, it's and it does. It feels it feels very heartfelt and sweet and real, which is uh, which is all you want. You know, you, it's a nice it's a nice check in, especially when it's you, you're not bound by you know, genetics, this is clearly a choice that they're making to yeah. check in and say, congrats. So Feels weird. Good. When I, when I read about you getting the part on Mad Men and like the famously seven auditions, like seven fucking auditions, which well, this means, is what I was saying about auditioning, meaning it, yeah. at, at every one of those steps, if I would have sucked, it would have been you know, out bounced next. Yeah. I was watching some dude, I don't know whether he was director of the show or creator of the show, they were interviewing him, and he's talking about how no one wanted you. They didn't want you, not because of your acting, they didn't want you because you weren't a name. They wanted a name for exactly. that, for Mad Men. And, uh, you know, everyone was like, uh, all odds were against you getting this thing. I mean, it was a game sure. changer. I mean, what a, I mean, you're a household name once you get on Mad Men, but it really isn't so easy to get that gig. I mean... It's every ounce of everything you ever put into your career going into those auditions. But why say Then you have to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, then you got to be good. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah. seven was because I started at the very, very, very bottom. I was not even on the list. So wow. I wasn't. I remember. I'll, I'll never forget it. I remember the first audition for this show was for the casting directors who I hadn't met because they were based in New York City. And it was at a, uh, it was at an advertising agency, uh, in Santa Monica. I lived over in Los Feliz, Silver Lake. So I lived on the other side of LA and the LA people will know that that is not an easy commute, especially in February when it was raining. So it took me about two hours to get to this audition where I'm sitting next to like a 15 year old kid waiting, you know, a sign in sheet and waiting. And the kid goes, are you here for the toothpaste commercial? And I go, what? <laughs> No. And then I thought, well, maybe I could get a job with that toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, what if you could go in? <laughs> Why not? I got decent right. teeth. Like, yeah, nice teeth. But uh, I was like, maybe, maybe I could double dip on this. It's a two-hour drive. I have another two hours on the way back. It's still raining. So in maybe other words, you weren't thinking, you weren't walking in there thinking, this was going to be the biggest break of my career if I get this thing. Like, uh, I definitely, I walked in there thinking I really, really liked this script. I, I remember reading the script and, and putting it down and thinking, holy shit, that's a, that's a really good story. And then I read it again to make sure I didn't make it up in my head that it was better than it was. I was like, no, this is really good. So I really wanted, I really wanted it. 
You but said I was at the very, 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 very bottom. Understood. No one knew from you. It was like almost like uh, an open call kind of thing, and not quite, but uh, yeah, you know, yeah, just about pretty much. But, but you said when you talk about that character, a lot of the character's development, you were doing some impression of your father in in some way, and I understand this because um, you know I think on the radio a lot of times early on I was doing an impression of my father at parties. I used to listen to my father talk, and he was always very sure of himself and always very boisterous uh-huh. and, you know, had an opinion on everything. And I found early on in my career, I would, you know, I would use his voice. I'd be very, very, uh, you know, official when I, when I really started to open up. Well, it, my, yeah, my dad, my dad had a, had a, had the gift of gab for sure. And he was, he could talk to anybody. You know, he was a salesman at some point. You know, he was, he had a million different jobs. Um, but at the core of his existence, was a, a real sadness. I mean, he lost two wives. He had, uh, you know, in, in very sudden ways. He was, he was kind of the end of of his generation, and and it's sort of the the family business sort of they sold out on his watch, and so there was a lot of unfulfilled sort of sadness there, and and that that was what the what really informed that character for you know Matt Weiner famously had said the first time I auditioned for him, which was about the, for doing the timeline, it was a, the, maybe the third of my seven auditions was the first time I met the guy that wrote the thing. When I walked out of the room, he said famously, this could be a, you know, he could have made this up. I wasn't in the room, but he said that that man was not raised by his parents. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, it's weird. Do you ever do you ever get into like who else went up for that role? Because when you start at the bottom, you don't know. But then you get to the third, <laughs> the fourth audition, and then you start to go, wait a second, I could get this fucking thing. This might be a real opportunity. This could actually happen. Then the and now you're in the running. Do you start to like, hmm, who else is up for this thing? Well, there's faint you know, there's a sign in sheet. Like people are, there's names and you can look at the names who's signed in. It's not just the kid going out for the toothpaste ad anymore. Now it's people whose names you start to recognize. The only name that I remember from any of those sign-in sheets, and I've since heard that, oh, they were out to this guy and maybe this guy was going to do it. And who knows? And who knows how true any of that is? But the only name I remember from that sign-in sheet was Josh Molina, who I'm not sure had a great shot at being don draper but uh would have been a choice you know it would have been a and i love josh he's a great wonderful actor but i was like wow i don't think he got a call back you know why i always think about you every year because you were so great in that role you you um you know you were always up for the emmy you and it was also the years of breaking bad with uh sure. brian cranston you must fucking hate Brian Cranston. Um, <laughs> I would think because winning the the Emmy for your role would have, you know all those years that you were up against him and he would win. Like you'd, you'd show up, you do whatever it is you have to do <laughs> to campaign for this thing. Was it, in all seriousness, was it a bit annoying to see him in Breaking Bad and like, okay, yeah, he does a brilliant performance, but give me a fucking break. I'm doing something pretty brilliant over here too. I mean, had I never had i never won for that role i think it would have hurt a lot more but by the end of it i actually did and 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 i you know i i I thank brian every day for kindly bowing out by the end so i can (laughs) so i can come in at the end but no brian i'm sure you've 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 interviewed him or talked to him and if you you know him you know he's he like a lot like me had, had was kind of the journeyman 
guy for a long time. I mean, he was on Seinfeld, Malcolm for years, you know, and, and then finally gets this kind of career defining role, not unlike me and, um, has, has made the most of it. He's the, he's the menchiest guy you'll ever meet. Uh, he came, we had a, a screening of, uh, of confess Fletch at a, at a little screening room here. He showed up with his wife and, you know, it was like, he's, he's, I consider him a, a, a really dear friend. We've, we went through it. You know, I remember there was a, <laughs> it actually, I brought, I brought this up when I last saw him, but I was like, we, we had a very early photo shoot and it was for like AMC. Like they're, they're the new, they're the new HBO. They're going to come in. They've got these two shows that are going to blow the doors down. And Mad Men was already a, a bit of a hit, but Breaking Bad hadn't, hadn't, uh, hadn't done it yet. So we're, we're doing this photo shoot and I'm in, you know, I'm in the suit with the cigarette and the tie and the hair slicked back. And Brian is in his tidy whities <laughs> desert boots and a chemistry apron with safety goggles. And he just walks out onto the, onto the photo shoot thing. And he looks at me and he goes, I feel like I got the wrong end of this deal. <laughs> yeah, you're looking all, you're looking like James Bond. All dapper. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah. And what a, I mean, and then it's just unbelievable. Uh, the, the, the amount of attention that show gets. Are you able to, they probably signed you to the world's shittiest contract when you first got this because you're the guy who auditioned sure seven times and right. And so we all think, Oh, John Hamm, this guy's multimillionaire. He's on one of the biggest shows in television. He saved AMC along with Brian Cranston. These two guys are just having a thing. They sign you what to like a five year deal, seven year deal. What? It, and it's awful, right? Yeah, it was, it was pretty, I was making less money per episode than I was making on Providence. Oh, wow. Uh, so as a guest star on a network show, again, it's that, you know, there's all these like sort of, minimums and scales and all the things and but for basic cable which is what we were we weren't even what was known as premium cable because that was hbo and showtime and cinemax right. and what have you we were basic cable um so yeah so the 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 scale was was wildly low and yes we were locked into some pretty draconian contracts that, which were eventually renegotiated so at a certain that's point, what i was going to ask you season three it, it it shifted and that was when okay people started getting paid that was much nicer the the you know it, it was still hard work it was I, I was still working six you know five days a week for sure and it was it was it's it's a it's a tough schedule but working on a hour drama is a is a lot of work and, and by a lot of work in my since i don't know that world but i would imagine the amount of preparation you have to do. And it's not the actual work being on set. It's the memorizing of these dialogues. And, you know, when, when you give these speeches and, you know, you're, you're pitching, yeah. a, 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 a especially, yeah, especially on a show like Mad Men, for sure. That there's a lot of, there's a lot of words and, uh, you don't just go in there and wing it. And it, so, yeah, you're right. The preparation is, is not, is, is a significant part of it. And then just the, you know, the, the long days, it's a, it's a lot of stuff to pack into a, a fairly short schedule and uh you know then then anything you want if you got if god forbid you want to go to the dentist or you want to go to the to the the doctor or whatever you got to do that on the weekend and then that's your weekend gone uh and then you know not you know it's 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 a it's a lot you know it's yeah it's a lot how do you negotiate that i mean i know you got an agent and everything that does that but still they've got you by the balls you've signed this deal you have to do it do you just do you have to go and say to them listen guys fairness 
you're making a fortune on this show. Uh, the show is the, the number one show on your network. How the fuck do you get past that bad contract and finally get paid? You're correct. You, you, that's what you say. Basically, you know, did you have to threaten to leave? Did you say, look, I'm done. I never, it never got to that because I think they understood that, okay, it's time to, to do right by this guy. And, uh, so it never got to like the, you know, the, whatever the phrase is, it never got to the, you know, uh, last walking out stage or I'm, I'm not going to show up for work or any of that kind of that's all you know and that's all just posturing too you know you're kind of like oh you know you guys are gonna say that you don't have any money and then we're gonna say we're gonna leave and then you're gonna find some money and then i'll say oh i'm not gonna i was never gonna leave and then we're gonna hug and it's like can we just skip all of that and you guys pay me what i'm actually worth and then we'll be fine and we can go do the thing that makes us all money (laughs) right it's you know it's like it's like negotiating for rugs in morocco or something you have to like be offended and then walk out and then turn around and then at the end of the day you're having tea and hugging it's very weird (laughs) it is weird what a strange business because i think like there's like lots of people who meet john ham go oh you're so lucky you're so wealthy you're this and that you know you almost want to say to them Listen, asshole, I, I didn't get paid the first three years on this show. I mean, I, you know, and I, I was a broke actor. Not only did I not get paid the first three, I got, got paid. I got a paycheck, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when, you know, yeah, that certainly the, 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 the pay, the payment that a lot of actors get is wildly overstated and, and, and a lot. But I was also an actor in 1995 making as i mentioned 2400 dollars a year right uh i just it just was you know so if you if you amortize it over time i think it it actually it comes out to a fairly normal salary i think do you how do you keep a level head for that did you go berserk for a while or did you just kind of did you were you a level-headed guy i see i find that the hardest thing it's very trippy to suddenly be thrown on a hit television show and then like wow i mean well i think about it yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's definitely a, a nah, gut checks the wrong word, but it's like a, it's a real reality check. I think really, cause your reality shifts it, it you know, it's, it's, oh yeah, it's one, it's one thing to, to, to have it. I, I cannot understand how, especially nowadays with whatever it is, TikTok, YouTube, these kids getting kind of fame and fortune and access and money and celebrity and all of this stuff when their brains aren't even developed yet when they're in their 20s or what have you but even i as a 35 year old when i when madman hit uh yeah it's a it's a real it's a real reality check your whole everything you thought was normal is not and it's you're you're in a different playground you're in a different world it's it's all the rules are are bending to to accommodate whatever it is you want even if you don't necessarily want the rules to bend oh, don't worry about it it's fine so that all that stuff is is a real weird uh reality check I, it's it's i don't know i mean I th- ben stiller i think said uh, maybe i'm misquoting him but he said i think anybody who gets famous goes goes crazy for five or ten years like you just you can't it's the rea- reality doesn't make sense yeah because i i've talked to other people especially musicians they say you can create your own reality you don't even have to deal and you're on a set where everything is kind of like set up for you and you start to and then i guess also the heady thing is too getting invited to parties with really famous people and 
and uh, it's pretty mind blowing. It, it you know you start to think, oh wow, this Plus is outrageous. It was never. It was uh, like a lot of scrutiny. Like that always freaks me out. Like you're watched, you're photographed. You're, everybody wants to know where you are. Yeah, that 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 part of it was very was a very weird um, adjustment for sure. When you're when you're sort of walking around living your life and you realize like, oh my god, is that guy taking my picture? Like, oh my god, are those th- is that three grown men behind a bush? like that's that's really weird like what do you it's and it's almost funny except when it isn't when it's like oh just what are you i just i'm walking the dog or what what have you like i'm going to get you know toothpaste at the uh this is i keep mentioning dental uh operations here i mean you know but uh whatever it is it's 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 a very strange it's a very strange new reality and 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 there's no there's really no way to engage with it you you just have to kind of let it wash over you um i was never really like i never really got too high on my own supply of, on that stuff because i was i was at least i was old enough to understand that yeah this is happening now but it's also and it's and i and i, and I feel like in many ways i did deserve it i worked very hard for it yeah. so i didn't have kind of the necessarily the imposter syndrome or f- fraud whatever that the thing is called but but it was it was definitely a a, a real reality warping time for sure and you and you uh you're sober right i mean you you you're, you're not shy about talking about it i mean um, i am I not read, a sober person I, you're not i i'm not a sober person i am uh i i was for some time i, I checked in to kind of recalibrate my everything when i went into rehab and Right. And, uh, and, and put booze down for 14, 16 months, something like that as a, as a kind of, again, as a kind of, sort of pump the brakes. Let's hard see to do. This, I did not find it hard to do, but I also had the support of, uh, the, the, the program that I was in, which was, which was a lot. And, and, and by the way, it was kind of like, and there's, there's quite a few people who deal in the, in this recovery industry and, and it is an industry, which is another, Huge thing to think to think about, um, but that that aren't worried about the what they're worried about the why. So yeah. why why are you using whatever it is you're using to get through whatever you're going through, and what are you going through? And that was sort of the you know that was how I was. You were talking about it. That was how I was managing this brave new world of insanity. Was was overindulging in that department and and so so removing that out of the equation wasn't necessarily difficult it was and it was edifying for sure do you think that um do you start to i don't even know do you start to confuse your character because the character is so beloved in the sense that people just are responding to this character do you start to believe not believe but you start to feel like you are that character or or something like that i never i that's not that's never been my my process you know i'm i'm very much able to leave that that work that was and and, and that was a, a relief honestly like there there were it was it was it was not easy playing that character it was not and again i'm i'm putting right. all of this on a very sliding scale of of not easy understood I, I, I realize right. that i'm not a lead miner you know what i mean right. like it's, there's <laughs> there's it. other more difficult jobs in the world than uh, but when it's a dark character or a character that's complex it's uh 
it probably require you can't put it on autopilot. In other words, it's got no, really, it's certainly yeah. not on autopilot. And, and and yeah, and it's and it's a very difficult uh, day job for sure. But I was I was never I, I never you know would walk around thinking oh I'm 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 Don Draper get out of my way or I'm you know you're not just, Daniel Day Lewis going to yeah, insisting that everyone call you Don Draper and and uh, <laughs> yeah and, and, and listen I may blink it and we're at the craft services table you'll address me as Mr. Exactly. Link <laughs> you've never exactly. you've never subscribed to that kind of acting <laughs> you're a croissant Mr. Lincoln uh, yeah <laughs> no I, I I never I and I understand people that do like I I there's a lot of ways to to get to home base on this and people everybody's different there's people have their processes people have their things that they need to get to certain places and i i i was very uh i think holistic in that i i can i i've very much as as we were discussing very much understood kind of what the core of this character was and i was able to access that access that uh for whatever reason fairly uh, easily, and I think the reason is obviously because it was very close to home for me. It was very close to my dad, and and all of the the things that I thought about him, I could I could transpose those onto onto Don, and and I think uh, you know portray that in a in a in a way that resonated. Where is the Emmy? You know, where 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 does it sit? Do you are you one of those guys that puts it out on a shelf? I mean, I I think I would display yeah. an Emmy if someone gave me Absolutely. one. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's in my office. It's on my, uh, I have a shelf, uh, a, a, a lovely shelf that was built by, uh, Nick Offerman in his wood shop that I, that I, uh, it sits right there and it sits next to all the, all the trophies that I have. And, uh, and when you bring women up to your I'm office, you immediately, it. you point out the, uh, <laughs> you say, this is where you can view Miami, uh, right? It's, I would think it is, it is visible in, from, from many, many places. I'm very proud of it. I don't know why I wouldn't be. It's, uh, Absolutely. It's, first of all, I think it's other than the Oscar, which is sort of its own sort of thing. I right. think the Emmy's a good looking award. Very it nice. Is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like it's, it's sort of classy and it looks very space age. And do you think I was thinking about um, when you did Saturday Night Live? That was a big deal to you because I've read this thing about how your father, when he wanted to keep you busy, if he was having a party or something, he'd throw you in front of the TV and say, watch Saturday Night Live. So that must yeah. have been another surreal moment doing Saturday Night Live. What, three, four times or something you did it? Um, I hosted it three times and I've been a guest on it on multiple occasions, uh, you know, walk on or what have you, you know. Do you feel totally comfortable doing that kind of thing live? Because um, uh, I would think for an actor, it is a little different, the live aspect. And then all of a sudden kind of John Hams, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I remember the first time I did it, I remember and this was pretty famously. This was the ep the episode that Amy Poehler uh had had a baby during uh and she couldn't be uh, on the show so we had to scramble at the last minute and change the thing and coldplay had to do another song and uh so it was the the live aspect of it was very real and i got to the to 8h at whatever two o'clock in the afternoon for the show and you're getting ready and 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 uh, you know, that someone, you get there and they put the dressing room and they knock on the door. Uh, Amy's having her baby. So the, the we're losing this sketch and this is not a cold place going to do. And then we're going to change, basically we're going to change the whole show. So I was like, Oh, oh. uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in six hours, right? Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, 
What, where do I need to go? <laughs> like, we're going to get you. Don't worry about it. And, and that's the, that's the amazing part of that show is that everyone's like, eh, okay. Yes. Yeah, don't worry about it. And meanwhile, but you're we'll, not we'll part of that. And so you're coming from no. an actor's point of view where you're prepared, you know, like I prepare for my role and now yeah. you got to just kind of wing it. <laughs> well, and so what I real, I remember, I remember standing behind, like getting ready to go for dress rehearsal at eight o'clock and it's dress rehearsal and the band's playing. And it's, it's basically the show. It's just not on the air. And I'm standing behind the thing, getting ready to go through the door and the band is playing. You can't hear anything, but people don't realize is that how small the, the, the stage is that SNL is on. You think it's this huge place because it's got weekend update and that must be its own wing. And then, and right. then the other things are in their own thing. It's all in one thing. They just keep moving stuff around. It's like Tetris. So I remember being utterly terrified waiting for, for my cue to go on and the band is playing and I can, I can feel the bass drum, the kick drum because it's literally six inches away from me just separated by a you know a thin piece of plywood and the stage manager is screaming you know and, and it, you know the don pardo's reading your name and i i don't know what happened but i realized in that moment i was like oh oh this is a roller coaster i just have to not fall out of the roller coaster and i'll be fine i'll hold on to the bar I'll enjoy. And I was like, I'll just enjoy the ride. This is what it's supposed wow. to be. It's supposed to be. And I remember, and it was literally, she had to shut. Cause I was kind of having this out of body moment behind the thing. And, and Jenna Rossitano, who's the, the stage manager, had to like push me out the door. Cause I had missed my cue. I was musing <laughs> about how I fi figured it out. And like, Get out, go. And I go out and it's, you know, and then, and then the rest is, is history. And I had a, the best time. That was like, what that was the, the cast that I was closest with, but those guys, Hater and Wig and Polar, even though she wasn't there maya and bread and i just remember like having the best time and i was like really? oh right yeah enjoy this enjoy it enjoy the insanity enjoy the chaos what an incredible epiphany to have as you're walking 30 out 30 seconds 30 <laughs> exactly. seconds because if you didn't have that you would have been miserable and uptight and nervous yeah and, and, and you know uh but but I, I would think that whole idea of reading cue cards and not being able to look at the person you're talking to it's just such a strange experience but it's it a very it's a very weird yes it's a very weird technique but that's just technique like it's like learning how to i don't know play the flute i don't know you just have to kind of practice it and it yeah you eventually get it some people are better at it than others but like it it just it works. You have to trust their. Somebody told me, I think it was Jason Bateman told me like, I was like, what do I do? How do I, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to suck. And it's going to, he goes, no, 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 just go and, and be their guest. You're their right. guest. Like you're going to their home, you know, be polite, be their guest. They've been doing this for 40 some odd years. They're, they know how to do it. Don't tell Makes them. Sense. You're not going to tell them anything that they don't know. And, and in fact, I think the people that maybe don't have the best reputations that have been there have, have tried to, oh, let me, I'll, I'll rework the show. You're not going to rework Lorne's anything. He's got it on lock. He, he knows what's up. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. I'm not going to go into what happened with me with Saturday Night Live, but I was one of those assholes. <laughs> were you, were you, uh, I was an asshole who tried to tell Lorne how to do his show. And I, I, I'm forever embarrassed by that, but I was a schmuck. 
But but were you concerned about the ratings that week? Like, in other words, do you get caught up in that? Like, oh, geez, I'm the host. I got to check the ratings. I want to see if I'm the most famous. I'm the most wonderful. I absolutely not. I, I, li- I mean, I think someone told me that the ratings were good, but I certainly didn't seek that out. Right. That is definitely in the category of out of my control. You know, it's it, it. And and I think as we all as we know now, like the even back then, that was would have been in 2009. And, you know, Mad Men was never a ratings thing. People people thought the show was on A&E for the first three years. It was on. Right. It was like they didn't even know the name <laughs> of the network. So you didn't check all so that. What, you didn't sit there and go, "Oh my God, what's the rating on uh, you know on Mad Men?" I, you, you just didn't get caught up in it. It almost well, and because it, it was almost a uh, forgotten concept, really. By the time, right? By the time it it, I, it mattered to me, it didn't matter anymore. It wasn't like you know, oh, you got to rush and check the. There used to be a phone number you could call to get the overnights. Yes, where you'd get you know you get immediate you know whatever. And it's like phone call overnights it's like it's the internet man it's instant like whatever whatever's happens on twitter like it's there's no such thing so you've got a great attitude it was you've got a great attitude that you i was hung up on all that shit i think one of the things that prevented because you came up in the time where that where that was was meaningful i mean that that determined your your paycheck it determined Every Everything. 15 minutes, they took a, a, you know, you had to sweep people through the quarter hour, so to speak. Clear exactly. this up for me, John. And, and and this gets into the most famous rumor about you, the whole penis thing. Did you, did they tell you on Mad Men? <laughs> the whole you, penis thing? Well, let's address it for, for, for once. Put it on the record. Did you bring did they, it, first did, of all? Did, no. yeah, Robin <laughs> wants to know if it's here. Or did you leave it at home? But, John, did, did, did they tell you on Mad Men you must wear underwear? That your penis is so large that it is in fact <laughs> interfering with the performance, and and it's I showing up. I have worn in underwear every single day of my life, Howard. That is so. Uh, that's a rumor. Uh, that, in other words, none of that is. Yes, true. I have. Not, first of all, who doesn't wear underwear? I yeah, I've, I've wear underwear, especially I've worn with the suit. Every day of my life, <laughs> the suits. I mean, no, come on, no. I I I uh, I I love a I love a comfy boxer brief. Thank you very you much. Do. Good for you. Yes, I mean, uh, I'm proud of you. I like a breathable, I like a breathable cotton. You know, <laughs> yeah. Come on, man, who doesn't? All right. So, so in other words, that's nonsense. When I read stuff like that, the other question is yeah. because of your beauty, you have great symmetry, beauty. Your face is beautiful. I'll tell you that right now. You know it. I know it. Let's not fuck around. But I often compare. Like I say to my wife, my wife was a very beautiful woman. She worked as a model. People paid for her to, you know, be photographed. She would go to buy like an ice cream and the guy in the store would give her a free ice cream. And she grew up thinking, this is what, go-, you know, people are generous and they give you free ice cream. She had no concept that that isn't my experience. I've paid double for the ice cream to make up for her free ice cream. People take, people take your ice cream and take give it to my, her. That's right. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is it true? And please don't be modest. Is it true in your life? That you too live this charmed life where you could have any woman. You could have, I imagine you're, I know, tw- I can name 50 women right now who want to fuck your brains out. I mean, John, what is, what's going on and what is it like? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the gist of the character I played in 30 Rock, right? That I have, uh, that, that, that I'm in the bubble. That's what they call the bubble. Uh, <laughs> right. 
that uh, you know it's you have you have this skewed existence. Um, I'm, this is not me being humble or, or or falsely humble or any anything. Honestly, my experience has not been that. I have not. Walk, I don't walk into the, the thing and, and and get a free drink or a free anything. Nothing. I, no one, nothing. I'm a you know part of it is like I don't carry myself that way. I don't. I'm I've I've worked in restaurants and I've worked in and now more so because I'm famous. Yes. Sure, you might get an extra appetizer or a free dessert or something, but that's a that's a famous thing. That's right. Uh, and and that's you know you, the chef comes out hey it's uh, nice to have you here Bobby Flay says hi whatever you know that right. kind of thing where you're like all right I guess uh, whatever I, okay so let me ask you this before you were famous did, was there any woman that rejected you like did you have heartache in your life were women um uh, or or was is that a rare experience in your life I mean. <laughs> I was no. on a dating show, Howard, that, uh, I, saw that I didn't get picked for. I mean, yeah, so she couldn't see you. Trust me. If she could have seen you, you would have been picked. Well, I don't out. know. Did you see me back then? That was a, that was a particular I hairstyle. The hair. I, I liked it. Look at me. I look like Louis XIV. Come on. I mean, I got a Brian May head of hair. So, uh, no, I hey, Brian think, May's doing all right for himself. Don't, he's you know, doing don't great. I mean, yeah. But 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 uh, but I, I guess what I'm driving at is rejection or, uh, or or pining away for a woman and not being able to get her, so to speak. Uh, that's never been your experience, I would imagine. You haven't suffered that. I think that it, sure I have, and I, you know, there's you there's have been. I don't think I have quote unquote the one that got away or any sort of like. There's no there's no version of that in my life. Right. But you know, when you're when you're when you're a kid, especially when you're a teenager, and I just read a book about this. This is actually a scientific fact. The reason that you feel all of those feelings so intensely is because those pathways in your brain are like wide open. The 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 older you get, the kind of the 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 traffic clogs up the 405 a little more, but when you're when you're 16, 18, 20, all of those feelings, all of those neuroreceptors, all of those things that are love and loss and, and, and heartache and all the things. That's why you, you know, that's why you write shitty poems when you're 18 and why you, you know, it's why all the rock stars are, it's why the Beatles could write, you know, amazing albums love when they were 25 years old. And you're like, how are you? When I was 25, I couldn't get a job. Like, how, how, how do you write, you know? <laughs> <laughs> my sweet Sergeant lord Pepper. like are you yeah, kidding right. me <laughs> like what what are you doing like um but that that's that that's what you are when you're you're that open so yeah of course there's there's there been you know p people in times like loss and love and all the stuff yeah that's being a human right um that doesn't like that doesn't get augmented or shifted because you're a good-looking human by some metric or you're a I thought for sure human or lucky human or anything like that. That's it's luck. It's just it's it's just good fortune. Uh, I had a friend growing up who stuff. was very good looking, not in your league, but he was a good looking dude. And uh, I remember we'd go to parties. He'd hook up right away. And I'm sitting there. I've sat on a couch and smoked cigarettes so I would look cool. You know, to my quote unquote cool. And nobody, <laughs> not even the, the worst looking girl there would look at me. So I'm saying like um, and his experience was you go to a party and you hook up, you know. And and I was always like, oh God, I, I, I want that. I wanted that so badly. I wanted to be a good-looking guy, and I like interviewing good-looking guys to hear what it's like to know the reality of that. And um, and I'm jealous. 
I'm jealous of it. But you're you're Sean. famously self deprecating You're famously self deprecating right? Yes, of course, but, with good reason. You, I look like you a monster. Okay for yourself. Look at you. You've you, right. you got now, a nice family. Now. You got a nice career. You look great. You got Brian May hair. <laughs> Thank you. You got good I style. Got <laughs> Let me talk to you about uh, bringing back uh, Fletch. Let me talk to you about bringing oh, back Fletch. Goodness. First of all, how fucking hard is it to get something like this made? You you decided I'm bringing back Fletch. First of all, were you a fan of the Chevy Chase Fletch movies? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And by the way, I, I I didn't decide to bring this back. This was like a thing where somebody owns the rights. It's this sort of swirling nebulous of what's happening. Who knows? Maybe there's a remake. And this has been kicking around since I came out to Hollywood. It was going to be Ben Affleck and Kevin Smith. It was going to be Ryan Reynolds. It was going to be Jason Sudeikis. It was going to be fill in the blank of sort of personable, uh, funny, you know, uh, Chevy Chase adjacent actor. Right. Um, and and it never worked out for whatever reason. And I don't know what the reasons were. Maybe they couldn't find the money. Maybe they couldn't. They didn't lock down the rights, whatever. But a couple years ago, uh, this guy, Bill Block, who was running Miramax, uh, wonder what ever happened to that guy. Um, but uh, was had that they had Miramax had the rights to Fletch. all of the novels. There hmm. were 10 books written in the 70s and 80s by Gregory McDonald. And they and and this guy comes to me and says, "We would really like to to redo this with you." And I said, "That would be amazing. I would love to do that." You know, I I don't want to get into a funny contest with Chevy Chase, right? I don't want to get into a Chevy Chase impression off. So I would I would and I and I happen to be a huge fan. I read all of the books when I was a teenager, right? Because when I when I went and saw that movie that made me absolutely roar with, with my 14 year old best friend, we were eighth grade. We went to the movie theater in St. Louis and we saw that thing like a, you know, three o'clock showing on Saturday, or whatever. And we're like, man, we got to go back. Like, we we got to go back. You know, I want to see this again. There was, I know there were jokes that I forgot. I know there were jokes that I forgot. And this wasn't in a, you know, this is a pre-internet era. You can't like just right. check the internet for the jokes that you missed. You had to see it on a, a bunch of times. So I went and I was like, wait, this is based on a book. And I, and I went to the bookstore. I had no money. So I stole all of the paperback books that I could fit in my overcoat. Were you and, good at stealing? Uh, were you a, uh, were you a, an adept <laughs> a shoplifter? Did you ever get caught? No, no. First of all, I was, my mom caught me stealing candy, literally stealing candy once right. and shamed me so so deeply marched me back in you know i'm holding her hand she marches me back into the store give the man back the thing you took and tell him you're sorry and i'm wailing crying i'm so sorry i took the i took the box of nerds and i'm so sorry here is your box of nerds i'm sorry here take it back and I hope you learned your lesson. And boy, man, she could she could bring the bring the heat when when uh, when she needed to. In the in I the can't believe you stole nerds. Is that a good candy? I never ate nerds. Nerds was a good Pretty candy. Good. Really? Yeah. Two uh, two sides of the box had a cool box. You could like. Right. There was a lot going. There was a lot going on for the nerds. Problem was they made a lot of noise. Yeah. That's, that's and you got caught. That's, that's, that's where my mom caught, caught me. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's shaking? What's that noise coming from your pocket? Yeah, there's a foreign noise. So to get a movie like Fletch made, 
in other words, you're brought into it. They've been looking around through Hollywood to get this thing made. And when you say yes, then it gets greenlit because you're a big star. And if you're willing to play Fletch, no, honestly, not, not quite. It, It took a lot more than that. Then you have to. Okay, then you have to get a script. Then you have to find out how much that script is going to cost to produce. Then you have to okay, well what if we what if we took this scene and instead of it was instead of it being at a racetrack, it's at a a place that's a lot cheaper. So then you start you get a guy in there that does the budget. That's this is what this script is going to cost. Okay, it's a 30 million dollar movie. Well, this is the kind of m- money that you're then you have a number attached to you. Okay, well you represent right. $25 million. Well, can we make it for $25 million? I don't know. Then you go back and forth and it's all negotiated and it's all, uh, you know, it's all speculative, really. So when we were getting ready to, to take this movie out to maybe find financing for it, you know, it was like, oh, we'll go to Netflix and they're, they're writing checks for everybody. They'll, they'll just right. come and they'll write a hundred million dollar check. We'll make, we'll make three of them. It'll be great. It'll, yeah. and, and nobody wanted to write the check. Nobody wanted to do it. So we really? basically had why, to, why, to wait, do why it. do you think that is? Why do you think no one wanted Fletch? I mean, it was a successful movie franchise. Uh, you're That's attached a good question. to it. I, I huh. don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, if, if, if it's, it's a, you know, it's not the most, diverse storytelling uh, thing there's there's a version of that that was maybe people hmm. got hung up on there's a version of maybe we don't want to step on chevy's toes what is this going to be is this going to be differently funny is it going to be what is it going to be people didn't know it's the fear of the unknown if it's a if it's a no-brainer if it's what do you mean people said to, to you people said to you it's not diverse enough. I mean, in other words, it's diverse. I mean, you you got people in there. Of all, I mean, you mean ethnically diverse, it's, racially diverse. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's that, you this, can, is, this is the the world we live in. It's like you know, those are the things. And by the way, good, great. It's it's wonderful to have all this all of the stories from all of the colors of the rainbow, and that's all great. But this right. this was one of the things that we were hearing back. Like maybe we don't need this, so much of the story about the forty something year old white guy. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that's this story. So we ended up making it for a, a smaller number, and we ended up making it sort of independently. And then Paramount came and, and, and you know, bought it afterwards. So for years, I had been pitching um, trans Fletch, but no one picked up on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried, and I had all kind. I had, I had uh, Chinese Fletch. Don't ask what happened. Uh, so I don't know. That's why I'm curious about all of this. Is Fletch a genius? who on purpose acts sort of idiotic or is Fletch an idiot who has moments of genius? I can't figure I it out in my mind. I don't think I'm it's either. Sure. I think I, I, I don't think he's a genius. I don't think okay. at all. He's a genius. I think he's a, he's a guy. He's just very comfortable in his own skin and he's a very good, like you listener. He's a very good observer of what's happening. But when, and part of what we really had fun with in making this version of it was that we decided like Fletch can, Fletch can be a hundred percent convinced of his statement and his, his, his objective and also be a hundred percent wrong. And that's funny. Like when you have a guy who's utterly confident that he's doing the right thing and it's wrong and then is just like, Oh, well, okay. Well, forget I said that, but that's not the thing. This is now the thing. Like, okay, that's pretty much the human condition right there too if it's like i think this thing is true it's not okay well uh how do we how do we fix it right it, 
That's an interesting, yeah, because I'm, I'm always, I always think Fletch, I th- in my mind, Fletch was like Columbo. Remember that old TV show? To sure. me, Fletch was like kind of a guy who looked like he was kind of fumbling through life. The whole world looked at him as like a, you know, he's kind of a, a, a loser. And then he's brilliant. You know, he knows exactly what's going on. And he's got it all well, figured but the, out. You know, there's there's the moment in the in the in the first in the Chevy version where he's he's got the, you know, basically he thinks he's got the whole thing solved, and then Joe Don Baker comes out and he just goes, "Whoops, <laughs> like, nope, I, I wasn't right. I was really wrong." And now there's now there's a scary man with a gun. Yeah. Um. So so the movies in theaters and video on demand. Yeah, what they call PVOD, Premier Video on Demand. I guess uh, Prime Video. I don't know what it stands for, but it's so I can go can to get a it theater. on your. You can go to see it on the screen and the big screen if you want, or you can see it on your little screen at home. You want people uh, to go to the big screen, right? You want them to to go sure. see it. I mean, I think right. I think that they, you know, I think I happen to be in another film this uh, this summer that came out that was that was pretty big success that got people to go back to the movies and yeah, I, I saw you that was great yeah yeah over the course of the pandemic people forgot how fun it is to go to the movies yeah. you know to sit in a room with other people and not have this fear that you're going to infect the world but also just to laugh and cry and and cheer and and yell and and get you know you think top gun was the perfect movie for that like it's it's literally your 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 Top Gun did shaking. Top Gun did ridiculous business, but but um, you know, you think the movie business is dead? Is it kind of like just dying because you know the theaters? It, it, you know, even with Fletch, I can sit and watch it at home. I can order it on POV, or I can get it. You know, whatever that's called. I POV. don't think. I don't think it's. I don't think it's dead. VOD. I think. I think again. I think we're we're being reminded that you know I still love going to the movies. The last movie I saw was Elvis. It was like fun you know it's like it's fun to see something in a large format with other people that you don't yeah. know that you're sharing this kind of communal experience with that is truly uh uh you know engaging it's part of engaging in life and your and your yeah. and your society and your everything you know it's it's a universal experience when you watch it with other people did tom cruise reach out to you personally and say john i'm a fan i want you in this film How's that work? I had, uh, I had met, <laughs> I got to meet Tom Cruise for the first time at Jimmy Kimmel's house. Nice. Uh, this was, this was kind of right around when Mad Men started. People didn't really know, no one was really watching Mad Men, but they, but I, so I was, I was, I was invited over to Jimmy's house to watch oh, on football. a Sunday to watch football. Right. right. He would have these, these, these big groups and they'd have a keg and he'd make pizzas and it was LA. So it's sunny and the game started at 10 in the morning and a big group of comedy writers and comics and actors and people in the, and the, and it was right around when Jimmy, I think first, first had his show. Uh, and, uh, the rumor, you know, some of his writers were there and, and the rumor was going like, I, you know, Tom Cruise is supposed to come by today. <laughs> And we're like, no, he's not. That's what are you talking about. That's like saying Santa Claus is coming. Like, there's, just, there's no way that that is. And you're an idiot if you believe that. And Jimmy right. famously is a very big prankster. You're right. a fool if you think that that is actually going to happen. <laughs> and not only does the doorbell ring, 
and unmistakably it is it's not a tom cruise impersonator it is tim tom cruise with his mom shows up at football and and so we got tom cruise and mom cruise and it's like we <laughs> this is uh, we're all having like an out of body experience and like this is the arguably the most famous person on the planet absolutely is in this living room watching you know nine football, football games at once and so I, that's how I had met Tom, and, it, and 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 then I got you know to say five words to him, and and uh, he he had seen Mad Men because he kind of was like, I love I you know in the very Tom Cruise way, like very direct and intense, and I love that show, I love that you're, I love that show, <laughs> thanks man, holy cow, like that was a that was a good yeah. day, that was a really good day. <laughs> um, so then so then you know cut to however many years later, God, ten years later. Um, I'm driving down the road and my, my phone rings and I, 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 hello, it's my agent. Hey, they, they, you know, they're coming at you for, uh, they want you to do a part in, in the, in the Top Gun sequel. And I was like, well, then the answer is yes. <laughs> Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> no brainer. Is, yes. I want, yes. I want to, well, we don't know the money and this and that. And it's not this and that. I was like, no, 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 no. The answer is Yes. You work out the details, but the answer is yes. If, if, if this goes away, you're all fired. Like there's no, right. there's no version of, of the, if they've asked me to be in this, which by the way, was still kind of a new thing for me of like being right. asked to be a part of something, not only that is so front and center in the cultural everything, but to me was one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. So to actually get to kind of flash back to being at that point, 13, 14 years old, 1985 and, and, and be asked to be a part of the next chapter of this and act, and then basically have all of my scenes be with Tom Cruise. I was like, <laughs> no, this is, there's, this is a no brainer. This is a no brainer. The answer is yes. I'm sure it will be a, a big hit. And it was. When you work with a Tom Cruise, do you rehearse with, no, you just get on set. You guys kind of get there and then you do your thing right you just you kind of run it through a couple yeah. of times and that's it you're done for me for me for sure I, I mean i know obviously some of the the younger guys who were playing the aviators who were in the in the planes yeah they had a lot of prep and stuff to do you know i was my my 50 year old actor self made a very wise decision to stay on the boat Right. Not have to be, uh, not have to be pulling G's. And are you digging? Uh, and, you are know. you uh, are you digging being fifty, or are you like, oh shit? Very much uh, so. You like it? You feel comfortable Very in your so. skin? Your your acting? I, I, your, I was telling, yes, I was I was telling somebody this the other day on set uh, that I I finally, and I think it only happened in the last couple of years. I finally got to a place where I don't sweat it when i'm on set anymore wow i know what i'm doing i know i can do it great and i know if i suck there's always take two right you know it's like i have I, I i don't know when it happened i don't know when the nickel finally dropped but it really it really was a moment where i i, I just sat up and was like oh right none of this matters that much like it's there's always take two like let's just let's just do Let's do the best you can. And I'm not, again, not phoning it in. No, I'm, I understand. I'm still very much invested in being great at all times. I just don't beat myself up if I'm not. 
so in order to, to in my mind to be a great actor you got to be totally relaxed you got to be like you're not thinking about the camera you're not thinking about your nerves you're not thinking about that's tom cruise over there you're not thinking about oh my god i'm taking over the chevy chase franchise you're just in a moment and so to find that relaxation like if we forget we're on the radio we forget it's pure it's perfect yeah and it yeah. takes a long time to get there i think it, it, it for me it did you know, I've been doing, I've been doing this, I've been making money at this since I was 29 years old. And, uh, that's, that's almost half my life. Yeah. And it's certainly well more than half my working life. So, you know, it's, a uh, it's a good, it's a great place to be. It's, it's a great place to feel comfortable in your, not only your skin, but your life. And your you said, how do you feel about 50? It's so like people, it's a, it's a, it's a number, but it's it's a it's a, it feels good. So people should be hiring you now because you're at your peak. You're the most relaxed you've been. You should be <laughs> getting grabbed up for work because uh, you're, you're like Brando well, when have, he did the Godfather. I've had I've had a couple good years. I mean, I, I you know yeah. it's, it's always hard to say when when the world went sideways for two years that, you know, that I uh, had a pretty, pretty good pandemic. You know, nobody wants to be that guy, but <laughs> wonder but what I you were doing. I, made, I wonder what you were I doing got, during the pandemic. What were you doing? I made, I made a movie with Steven Soderbergh and Don Cheadle nice. and Benicio del Toro and all those guys. I got to make Fletch. Um, you know, I've, I've got to, I got to work. I got to work and I got to work on myself. I'm like a pretty happy Look guy. At you. I'm in pretty, this Great, is unbelievable uh, uh, position, and and it's a, it's a work in progress too. Like as you as you, I'm sure, well know that nobody's nobody's road is is completely clear and paved in the whole way. You just got to navigate it. John, what about love? What about Robin? Oh, uh, stop it. When's that gonna? <laughs> when's that all gonna go down? I mean, she's ready. I mean, I mean, you know how many women want? Could you ever commit to to one woman? Yes. Be married. You could be married. You've never been married, right? Yes. I've never been married. You could but I for sure. This is all part of what I'm saying. Like, this is another place in my life that I feel very settled and comfortable in. I'm in a relationship right, right now and it's, it's, it's sorry, good. Robin. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You could have her. I, but, you know, I, <laughs> uh, and, and it's, and it's, and it's comfortable. It's, it's a, it's a feeling of being, Take, uh, taking care of someone else and being taken care of and it's not to bring it all the way back to what we first started talking about but it's it's also been a process of, of working on myself my mental health all the stuff my therapist and and unpacking all of that trauma and realizing that you know when you lose somebody like that's so important to you like a mother sorry mm. uh so early that that creates a, a wound absolutely that, that blocks a lot of that emotional accessibility that blocks a lot of that uh availability and and vulnerability and it's only been in the last couple of years of me kind of sitting down and really thinking about all that stuff that's that's made the relationship that i'm in now is even more meaningful and 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 opened up the uh, possibility of things like being married having kids hope you know defining a new version of happiness life wellness all that stuff that's 
it sounds hokey and whatever, but it's real. And it, and it's, it's for want of a better word, it's, it's why I, it's what, it's what I'm working for. Right. It's what I, right. What, what else is there other than that? You know, what, what are you doing? You doing psychotherapy? That's what I do. I, 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 you know, I'm in a couple of times a week. I mean, uh, I yeah, find yeah, it to yeah, be fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. And it's, it, you get out what you put in for sure. Right. Uh, but, but when you, when you really sit with it, and that's what I, I do a lot of talk therapy. I'm, I'm also looking into other, uh, more intense forms of, of trauma therapy because during the, the experience of, of dealing with my therapist and talking with my therapist and sort of identifying my particular, uh, you know, sort of buried trauma, which is, we we've talked about it it's not it's not a secret it's it is what it right. is like there's that radiates throughout your whole emotional organism so to speak um it's probably it's, and it's and it, it doesn't get it doesn't get better by itself you have to like, no it does like anything else you got to break it down and you got to and you you said it you know talking about things is is was and remains fairly difficult for me uh, even though I can, I can talk my way around a lot of stuff, but it's, it's, it's tricky to get into it for a million different reasons. You don't want to be judged. You don't want, you know, you want, you want to keep whatever private, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff, but it's, I've found that so many people especially have, have this uh, relationship with trauma and this relationship with, with, with unsettled emotion in their life that it's it's helpful for them to hear about it for sure it's helpful when you talk about it it's helpful when i talk about it that it normalizes the fact that you can actually go you can get better you can you can better yourself you can you can I find wonder, this i wonder why we're, peace. why we're so ashamed to be vulnerable like that like why are we ashamed that we need to talk about shit and why well why, why are we so fucking ashamed of it and yet we are you know I don't get it's it. a good question. I no. think it's, I think that, you know, part of it is this, I talked about it in, in, in the, when we were talking earlier, but this, this sense that, you know, oh, the, the rugged individualist is really the way to be. And you're like, I don't know, man, the Marlboro man doesn't seem like a very happy dude. Yeah. No, he was very you know, sad. He rode off into the sunset and got cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he was that's out there all by himself. He, you know, he didn't all by himself. Ride, you know, right? I mean, yeah. no, <laughs> he did. Right. It, it would be way better. If it was Shane. You know, you have to look at Shane, the end of Shane oh, when, right. you know, he rides off into the sunset. You're like, the guy, where are you going? Stay the here, rugged, you dummy. The, the, the rugged individualist doesn't always have the best life. Did you ever get a chance to say to your father, like, have one, com one decent conversation with your father before he died where you said dad oh i only wished i could have been closer to you i only wish we could have talked about mom's death D did you ever have that moment with him the the sat the one of the biggest regrets of my life is that i never had an adult conversation with either one of my parents mm. i never had the opportunity um my dad slipped away pretty quick he was on a downward slope for some time but he slipped away pretty quick and my mom obviously i wasn't an adult so i wasn't an adult when my dad died really either but yeah i you know a lot of what i know about my parents comes secondhand through right. my, my, sisters, horrible? Or my aunts and uncles or whatever 
and yeah, it's a, it is, it's a bummer and it's, it's, it's unchangeable. You can't, you can't rewrite it. You can't go it back into the past to your, to your point, man. Yeah. I really wish I could have asked my dad a million different things. I wish I could have asked my mom a million different things thinking about my mom's and I have very, very vivid recollections of life with my mother, but I, I remember living paycheck to paycheck. She was a secretary. She, um, I think she made something like $200 a week, which in the seventies was, you know, went a little further. We drove an AMC Hornet, you know, shitty car that broke down all the time. Uh, grocery store was of, you know, on multiple occasions, like go take this back. We can't afford this. So I was the little shuttle back and forth between what we could and couldn't afford. And those, you know, and, and, but, but I love my mom and I love my life and I loved all, you know, you don't know any better. It just is, no. it's just, that's normal. And, you know, I knew that I was loved and taken care of and that that was never going to go away until it did. And then no. that was, that was like, that was real. That's the kind of thing that I talk about in therapy a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, they that's, pulled the rug out from under you, so to speak. For Life. sure. That's exactly yeah. what, it, what I was going to say. It's like that was when the rug was pulled out. and Or it's, you know, Wiley Coyote running and then finally looks down and goes, oh, shit, there's no, you know, there's no ground left. And you just fall. But. By the way. Yeah, that's. You're going to be put to the test. What's going to happen? I just read you were going to, you're going to be doing a, a shot on that morning show with uh, Jennifer Aniston. You're going to do a. Yes. Little, little thing on there. Yeah. What if she falls in love Season with you? Three. It's going to test your relationship. She's a very sexy woman. Uh, I've known I've known uh, Jen for for years now. I think I, I I weirdly enough, the first time I met Jennifer Aniston was at the premiere of her film, The Object of My Affection, starring one Paul Rudd. Uh -huh. So I got <laughs> she invited me to that thing. Yeah. So, so I've known Jen for for many moons, and and she knows my girlfriend, and we're all very no chemistry between together. the two of you ever, even before you had your girlfriend. No, I no. I mean, I th obviously I like it, like the universe loved her in Friends and everything she's done. Yes. She's a phenomenally talented uh, human being, and and also just a what's the female version of a mensch? I don't know. Menchette. She's a, she's awesome. Like she's, she's very kind. She's a wonderful host. But your girlfriend just, has uh, nothing to worry about. Will you bring her to the set so that she can see course, nothing is happening? Anna, you Anna and I yes. were at, we're at Jen's house for dinner on Saturday. Oh, okay. So uh, I was imagining you know, all like kinds a, of craziness. <laughs> Jesus. That must've been some dinner. You, Anna, Jen. Oh God. Just Ted wild. Sarandos. Ted Sarandos. Oh my God, that's like visiting <laughs> King Charles. I mean, wow. Sort of, Ted sort Sarandos. Of, sort of. Good Lord. The movie is Fletch. What is John Hamm saying? Let's sum it up. He's saying, first of all, to you kids out there who want to be actors, it isn't exactly what you think. It's a great career. He's not telling you not to do it, but he's telling you you better be willing to suffer for your art. That's what I think he's telling. He's also telling you his life isn't perfect. You look at him. You think uh, it's perfect? Yeah. Robin it's thinks not. it's perfect. What time does Jennifer... I think he's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty perfect. You hit all the marks. By the way... Um, you know what? I finally understand what happens with Superman. Okay? 
What do you because mean? Because John is sitting here in glasses. Yeah. And for a moment, he took them off. And I was like, oh, that's Superman. No, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a John Hamm move. He takes off his glasses to just get you oh, excited. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's like yeah. a stripper. Thank goodness he put them back uh, on. <laughs> by the way, what time does Jennifer Aniston serve dinner? I picture a late dinner. I like, I eat at five o'clock. What time did you eat dinner at Jennifer Aniston's? I don't think, I think we ate around eight. Oh. Eight. Okay. It wasn't, typical, it wasn't crazy typical. late. Yeah. Yeah. What did you eat? Well, and it I wasn't fancy. Uh, I had a, I had a, uh, kind of a Mexican salad situation and some enchiladas. Oh, nice. Were, yeah. They <laughs> delicious. were delicious. <laughs> well, let me tell you. It was a good group. We had a good group. Who do we have? Jimmy was there, I right. assume. Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, no, Jimmy was not there. Uh, we had Sean Hayes. Okay. We had the whole, we had the whole Smartless podcast there. So we had Sean Hayes. We had uh, Will uh, Arnett and Jason Bateman. Of course. And, then, and Amanda. And then plus ones. And Amanda was there, of course. Right. Uh, we had Ted Sarandos and his wife, Jen. Uh, Tig Nataro, who's also oh, starring on the morning I show like, with me. Okay. I like Tig Nataro. And, and her wife, Stephanie, was there. Anna, as I mentioned, right. myself. What a good um, group. Dan Bukatinsky and Don Roos. We had a, a, it was a, it was a, it was a good group. It was fun and funny. Jokes. There was jokes. Did you turn to Ted and say, Ted, what the fuck? I offered you Fletch. Uh, we now have the movie out. Ted, why did you pass on Fletch? Do you say it? Do you confront Ted or are you just a gentleman? I did not confront him. I, I reminded him that it was in theaters and available on uh, digital streaming platforms. Right. Not his. But, uh, but it was available. If, uh, if he wanted to seek it out, he, he certainly could at a, at a platform near him. Do you don't seem like the type of guy that would watch The Bachelorette. I watch that. That's one of my favorite shows. I don't see you doing that. I have not seen The Bachelorette. Now, I will... Uh, when Anna and I are cooking dinner, there's a there's a little ritual that happens where it's either we watch Bobby Flay, beat Bobby Flay, because that's sort of yeah, that's great you in the show. Mood to like Love it. Cook, yeah, cook something right, and it's fun. <laughs> right. It's 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 remarkably entertaining, and uh, and then sometimes there will be a, a Real Housewives uh, oh. watching at the Is at the, the end best? of uh, when we sit and watch the dinner. I'm fascinated by it. I really am. I, I resisted it. Me too. For for ye decades, I thought it was the l low hanging fruit, the l lowest common denominator. I can't, I can't with this. It's a. It, I would see them out in 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 uh, in the wild, and you'd just see this pack <laughs> of cameras and lights. I'm just like, what kind of existence is this? Are yet, you are you like me that you only watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, or are you into these other franchises? I only watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with Erica well, Jane. You know. Yes. <laughs> boy uh yes i watched that one because that right. one's on now but yes. the one that got me started the first hit of the pipe new york new jersey new jersey oh, the new jersey one. started in jersey then we went across the river to new york uh, and then we got on a plane and flew across the country and landed in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I can't get into the Salt Lake and the Dubai and the Atlanta. Me and the, I can't. I can't get into the kind of ancillary markets. John, but, everyone wants to know: Should Erica Jane give back the earrings? Yes, that were, they sh she should. <laughs> Absolutely. She should. That's it. The circular argument that they weren't her, that they she doesn't. It's not responsible. <laughs> 
Right. You just want to shake her and go, honey, they're not, they were never yours. Give right. them back. And then I can't quite get, are they, are they $750,000 earrings or is it $750,000 per earring? A piece. I don't know. I don't, I don't either. I've seen them. Are you kidding? I mean, I've never seen a more despicable, back. I've never seen a more despicable group of human beings than those women. And I love every minute of it. I mean, they are horrible people. I mean, it just gives you no confidence in the country when you watch that. First of all, <laughs> how could you be so comfortable showing off your wealth in a country where many people do not have anything? The, the complete obliviousness to the privilege that is given each and every one of those. I feel like Garcelle, Garcelle has a sense of, of, a some yes. sense of decency. And I like in fact, that. It was really funny. We were watching, uh, Anna and I were watching Miami Vice, an old episode of Miami Vice starring or guest starring a, what must have been an 18 or 19 year old Garcelle Beauvais. Garcelle was in Playboy. I in saw. My, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah. I, thought she, I I I knew she was an actor for a long time, uh, but I didn't know she was in Miami Vice. That was my favorite television show growing up. So watching, rewatching, and you realize how many people were in that show, like Ed O'Neill, Ben Stiller, yeah. all these like you know amazing the the guest cast that they had in that show and the music budget for that show must have been. A hundred million dollars. I mean, it was every every Phil Collins hit. They'd have they'd have a a, a, a Michael Jackson needle drop. I know. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is on network television. You know why I knew you had a good sense of humor? I always watch. I'm a big fan of uh, Zach Galifianakis's uh, Between Two Ferns, and I watched you yes. on there. And I mean, when he's <laughs> sitting there, it's basically a roast. I mean, he's roasting you. He's he's yes. bringing up things that are you know really embarrassing or horrible. Yes, and and uh, insulting you. And yet it's kind of lovable, right? I mean, it's, it's okay. Why, why is it okay? Zach, first of all, Zach, have you ever met Zach or interviewed Zach? Never. Or do you know Never him? Never met him. No. He is, he is one of the kindest people. His energy is, is purely good, but it's, it's chaotic. You know what I mean? It's like he's a, he's a, got a little bit of the devil in him. So it's fun. He's funny and fun, but it's, but it comes from a, he's never mean it's never punching down it's always just he's always uh playful in that way so there's that uh, and he comes from a family of he he might not be the funniest person in his family like his his brother is hysterical his father was a an amazingly uh wonderful guy who actually ran for i want to say senate back in the 70s and and got beat by uh strom thurmond Oh really? In North wow. Carolina, like there's How he's got his family has a yeah. fascinating history. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but Zach, no, Zach is just a is just a beautiful soul, and and so I've always been lucky, or at least in, in the this part of my career, I've been lucky enough to to be adjacent to funny people, whether it's Tina or Kristen Wiig or uh, you know uh, Zach in this case, and it's. It's a good lesson of just like, just lean into that. You know, his, he's, you don't have to be funny. He's got that taken care of. You just have yeah. to you just sit play there. along, you know, right? and enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's fun. You know, you shoot those things, those between two ferns are four minutes long, whatever they are. You shoot them for two hours. Because <laughs> do you start laughing? That. Do you start laughing? Oh, oh my oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Right. Immediately. <laughs> we had a thing that I actually pitched, which, which was. Zach was interviewing, I want to say, I think it was Will Ferrell 
on the between two ferns things and i had a like a walk on the the bit was that i left my keys in one of the ferns like i just <laughs> kept walking on it that took 35 minutes because none of us could keep a straight a straight face throughout the whole bit it was just it was so dumb and silly yeah that seems kind of fun uh, actually i i i, I you would be like great that. on it you should do it you, you know what? I have, a, on it. I have a thin skin. I don't think I'd react well to it. I don't like being roasted. I don't want to roast that anyone. Be, on a, even you know? that would be funny. I guess. Even that would be funny. I don't it's think never, he does him anymore. You know, I think he's, he's right. whatever. I, I think he's, he's, he's moved past that and is, but his you life. know what? Uh, it's, it's not funny though when somebody fights back with him. It's like, I no. like the people, I like what you did. You sit there, you take it, and you keep a straight face, and you look insulted. You know what I mean? You just got to you gotta kind of look like this. line of like, so you won a Golden Globe for uh, for Mad Men. Yes, I did. I won two, actually. Mark that under who gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I love it. I love it. So what did I learn today about you? I feel... You're in a new place. I think that you, John Hamm, even though all these women, everybody wants you, you're in a place where I think you're close to getting married. Would you like to announce now that you are getting married <laughs> to your longtime girlfriend? Uh, that would be a great. Not, I will not announce. I will not announce that now. But so, I feel you're close. I, I feel I, you're I, in love. I'm. I've, I'm. I'm. I'm very much so. Am. Yeah. You are declaring your love right yes. here. Yes. yes. On live on the air. Wow. Isn't that sweet. This is this is new. This is this is special. This is big, and uh, I see wedding bells. And I I will. I know what you're thinking. You want me to come to the hear, wedding? I'll you be. hear wedding bells more than see them. But yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> they're they're hidden in the thing. You can't see them. We learn. We we didn't really address the penis rumors and all this stuff. I mean, we said that the madman thing was bullshit. That the they didn't ask you to wear underwear. They didn't have to do something embarrassing like that. Where, um, you know, I I, I was insp I was actually inspired when I you know everyone always said, oh, John Hamm has the biggest penis. Blah blah blah. Oh. You can see it. You can see it through his pants. I did a thing when I saw that. I put a picture on the internet with myself posing with Leslie West, the the guy who was in a mountain. And I photoshopped a, like a, a penis into the pants. Uh -huh. And I said, I'm just going to let this appear somewhere. I'll get it on the Internet. And, and then what, the rumor will be traction. It gets zero people noticed. <laughs> I, I, it didn't get anything. But you were the no inspiration. Hits. No lies. I was, like, I was like, John Hamm, he's so lucky. Look at his rumor. Like, what a horrible thing. People are saying he has a big penis. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, good for you if you have one. Mine's so tiny, John. No bullshit. I'm six five. It doesn't even barely poke out of my underwear. <laughs> Honest to God, John. And I know you feel bad for me because you've got it all. You've got it all. I, you and know, I don't you. feel bad for you. Howard, Howard, you you live an amazingly lovely existence. Uh, you know, it's a you're you're doing okay. I'm, and I, I I I will say, I've I've watched you for you know I, the, in the old days. I remember. Seeing you on David Letterman. David Letterman was one the one thing that my dad and I always watched every night. I was a night I've been a night owl Great since show. I was a little kid. I remember watching Dave when he was on daytime television when I would stay home from school or whatever. So I would watch you come on Dave and watching your <laughs> appearances. You you and Harvey Picar were my two favorite guests on David Letterman because you never ever knew what was going to happen it was it was it was guaranteed to be 
something. Funny, maybe. Dangerous, maybe. Out of control, definitely. But I was, I every time, and I had no idea who you were. I'm like, who is this guy? Some radio guy from what we, there was no such thing as satellite radio. You couldn't get, you right. couldn't get radio outside of your hometown. There was, I don't even think you were syndicated at that time. Even, no, in, just even New York. if you were, we certainly wouldn't have gotten it in St. Louis. Right. No way. No way. So you were, you were just a, a mystifying presence to me like a radio why is a radio dj on the thing what what is the point but i loved it <laughs> so, so it's funny. a long way of saying that that i think you're 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 oh i think you're you. doing okay i'll tell you why that <laughs> pleases me so much because you know when you're in the middle of doing things you don't know the impact it has i don't know there's a, a kid in, in st louis watching this thing who doesn't know who I am and then sees me and comparing me to Harvey P cars, the biggest compliment, those appearance, I've said this to Dave, it was the Harvey P cars, the, the guy who almost karateed him, uh, in the face, Chris, uh, Crispin Glover, Chris, yeah, Crispin, those appearances, you know, Andy Kaufman's early Andy appearances Kaufman, on there, yeah. you know, you know, and for you to, um, enjoy me, not like you knew who I was because those appearances, Gave me stomach aches I, because I knew I was oh, walking I a tight wire. There were times they almost throw me out. Like Dave was like, he wasn't even on my side. If I went on there and did something <laughs> weird, like an OJ joke or something before people were making OJ jokes, it was weird and, and life draining, but I so wanted it to be good. You know, I just yeah. wanted it to be good so badly. I remember the first time I did the Letterman show and, uh, I was so terrified is waiting in the wings biff henderson is is there you know the pre-interview whatever you go in you go out and i'm like i've I'd done a million talk shows it wasn't my first time doing a talk show that was fine like i could go sit and and bullshit with the best of them but i dave was a different thing for me because because i had the, just this this epic history of, of right. watching him and get and getting him i felt like i got it like i it was i I just was like on the same page. And so I'm backstage and I'm in the wings and Biff is clipping on my mic and he says, uh, Hey John, how you doing? And it's nice to meet you. And, uh, don't worry. You know, don't you nervous? I said, yeah, I'm a little nervous. He goes, don't worry about it. You'll find out if Dave likes you within the first five to 10 seconds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what a thing. <laughs> what what like, a fucking thing to say. Oh yeah. my God. Like, but, but you know what? I go, so oh, okay. Uh, great. Great. Good to know. Good to know. And I immediately turn around. He's, he's finished my thing. I turn around. I start walking on stage. They haven't called my name, anything. I was so flustered <laughs> that I was like, I could start walking. And he grabs my coat. He's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'll tell you when you can go out. Easy, and, buddy. And it, Come it, it back was, in. Yeah. Get back did here. Did it go well? Like, did like, it go it well? Did, it did go well. It did go well. And, and uh, I, I was asked to come back a couple of times on the show and I was tremendously pleased to be a part of that experience. And, and I've since, since met uh, Dave on a couple of occasions. I think the last time I'd met him in person was the last party at the Obama White House, which was in like, you know, December, early January of 2016, whatever it was, you know, the, the last hurrah. And that was, I remember that he had his big beard by then and yeah. I was able to say hi to him and he was, he was, he's always been very pleasant with me. I think it's a Midwestern thing maybe, but it was, it was, a, it was a real pleasure to, to have that experience before his show went off the air. Could you, could you have a conversation with him or was it just like, Hey, how you doing? And blah, 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 blah. 
I'm, I'm very aware of people, uh, not wanting to get into a conversation. So I'm always very, how you doing? Yeah. No. Great. Totally fine. Do not need the validation, but it was nice to be able to, to see and be seen by someone to whom I look up to tremendously. Why did we want to please Dave so much? It was like, it's a weird thing, but man, you had to do well on that. You really wanted to please the guy. It's just a weird thing. It's, 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 I mean, I obviously never got a chance to do Johnny Carson, but I remember, I also remember the people that, that really killed on Carson and Dave was one of them, you know, and and Leno was one of them. Leno was amazing. The guys that I really liked were guys like Charles Grodin would go on (laughs) Carson and be so antagonistic and Johnny was, was so Phenomenal. tickled by it. Like it was so funny. And, and I, there's another thing me and my dad would sit and howl with laughter because we knew he was doing a bit. Grodin would was say, so, Grodin would go, you don't want me here. You, 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 why, why, you don't you, care you don't about, care. you don't care about your audience. You don't, you don't care you? about any of this. This is not, this is none of this matters. What do you, you don't why care why about my book. <laughs> it was so, and Carson could not keep it together. Uh, so good yeah i loved it and i got to meet charles groden too i was like i the, the, the amount of people that i got to meet in my life that i've rem- can remember looking up to in in the weirdest way like why would a 12 year old like charles groden like what that doesn't make any sense like the heartbreak kid like i don't know what was the there was no reason i liked him except he was i identified him as like i remember watching heaven can wait and being like, that guy is really funny. I didn't yeah. want to be Warren Beatty. I wanted to be Charles Grodin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's really weird because I studied talk show. To me, the idea that when Letterman said to me, you're going to be on my show, I was beside myself. I had done talk shows before, but to do uh-huh. David Letterman, because my, my entire childhood was sitting in front of the TV and watching Don Rickles, Toadie Fields, all these comedians doing the Mike Douglas show, not yeah. so much Johnny Carson, but the, 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 I watched Merv Griffin. The daytime and, shows, Merv and Mike Douglas, those were chaos. Chaos. And and people would kill. And I'd sit there and i go, man, if I'm going to go on David Letterman, i got to do something. i got to kill. i got to be on my game. You know, I want it to be right. But, that's, oh, my God. That's really heart, interesting. Yeah. It was just crazy. I, I can't even watch those now because it's too painful. It's like, a, it's too weird. <laughs> it's just fucking odd. You know what I mean? Oh, I don't know what God. that is. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you took one for the team because it was, oh, it was man. a, uh, it remains a, a, a singular achievement. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope Fletch is the big Thank hit. You Everyone's got to go see Fletch. So much time with us. John it's my, Hamm. It's my my pleasure, you guys. Thanks for having me. It's really, really great to, to sit and talk to you guys. It was a real pleasure. Oh, this is so much fun for us. John Ham. what is he saying? He's telling you, Fletch. It ha- Confess, Fletch, we should say. Confess, yes. Fletch. It's in the theaters now. It's available video on demand. You've seen what kind of man this is. You've seen how he suffered for his art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Think about it. The man won Emmys. He's won the Golden Globe. All right. Go, who cares? Two golden <laughs> right. <Zach> says, <laughs> who cares? But, but he won. He won. He won. And now, believe it, when you need to see Confess Fletch, you need a good laugh. You need to see something that's going to entertain you. And he says, go see it. And that's it. And he says, 
Hey, when you go to when you go on TV and stuff, do you ever talk politics or is that a no no for you? Like, like everybody loves John Hamm. I don't think people like you're not one of those guys that's uh, polarizing. Do you ever talk about politics or do you just try to I've, avoid that shit? I've done like you know Bill Maher's show, and I, I, oh, yeah. I'll offer I'll offer my opinion if it's asked. Uh, I don't lead with it, but I'll certainly give my opinion on on whatever whatever's happening. I. I I feel like, you know, there's a, as adults, not just as whatever famous people, as adults, we should have opinions on things. That's just being an educated part of a society. And I think anybody that kind of sloughs it off and, no, I don't want to talk about that is, I mean, whatever, man, really, come on, have an opinion about about this. It's it, Not only is it affecting your life, it's affecting everyone's life. So why wouldn't you have an opinion about it? I take it if you were at the Obama White House. I take it if you were at the Obama White House, you're uh, you're not a big Trumpy. Not a big Trumpy. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's good to know. Not so much. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know what's going I on. I mean, I country. get it. I I fully get it, but I don't. I wish it. I wish it wasn't uh, as gettable as it seems to be right now, because it's. You can tell that that that. that some folks are playing a tune to get everybody to dance along to it. And I don't think they really mean it. They're, they're not, they're playing that tune for, a, for, a, for a reason that is not, uh, pure. I believe you're right. Very interesting. Listen, you know what? Unfortunately, I tapped Bradley Cooper as my vice president. The way you're talking, I would have tapped you. Oh, I'm running. Oh, you're uh, rethinking I, this? Yeah. Listen, you got no, look, not, Coop, listen, Coop is, Cooper is Coop the speaks guy. French. He's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's got a lot. He's got a lot yeah. going on. Like, look, you he's approve. a director. You approve. You I approve. I, listen, I'm I, I, secretary of state. Listen, I'll. You, you know, want it? I'll take it's yours. Anywhere in the cabinet. Anywhere in the cabinet. Education. I was a teacher. Wow. All right. All right. Well, think that, listen, you, you're in as long as you talk more about your penis. That's what people really want to know. <laughs> That's the thing. Secretary of genitals. Secretary of genitals. Um, <laughs> uh, look, you're uh, quite the guy. You've had quite a life. You've done it all, and you're here talking about it all. And that's impressive. John Hamm says, never mind all that. Confess Fletch. That's what he's after today. <laughs> he doesn't care if you watch Mad Men. That's in the past. He's got <laughs> projects. Confess Fletch, select he's here to say he will not even be seduced by Jennifer Aniston when he is working with her, that he's so in love that he's very close to popping the question. And all America will celebrate when John Hamm gets married. It'll be unbelievable. Not you, Robin. Wait, another royal wedding, yes. <laughs> right. I really wanted you for Robin. We'll all I turn out. I really well. did. Well, what can you do? You seem like a good guy. Guy, hey, I can get you're not married with. yet, Howard. Right. There's still hope. That's true. Fair enough, Robin. Fair enough. Uh, confess, Fletch. Everyone go see it, right, John? This is it. This is yes. a, th yes. this is it's, it. This it's is worthwhile. It's very funny. It's, uh, it's a completely different take. If you go in expecting to see a Chevy Chase impression, you'll be disappointed. I'm not no. doing no, that, Chevy. but it's very, it's very, uh, it's very funny and fun and it's, you know, it's a it's a mystery that actually gets solved. So it's a That's we a have pleasure. a great uh, the, the cast is great. Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin, Marcia Gay Harden, John Slattery's in it, playing my my former boss. My former boss is playing my former boss. Yeah, and, very excited. And, and you didn't do the thing where you have Chevy Chase come on in a cameo, right? No, that would have been. No, we didn't want that. You know, 
him driving an old timey cab and you know like Stanley camera or something. <laughs> hey everybody, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's your take on Fletch. You weren't interested in somebody else's. Exactly. That they, you can rent that one too. Mm. You know what? Listen, right? Tide lifts all boats. Go, yeah, have a have a weekend. Go 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 uh, go have go a party. Fletch crazy. Yeah. Go Fletch crazy. <laughs> Everyone, it's finally been made. Confess Fletch. Everyone in Hollywood was saying, "How are we going to get this done?" And there's one man who it got took, it done. It, it took it took a it took a hammer to pound that nail. Damn right, John Ham confessed. Flesh Select Theater is now available on video on demand. Everyone rejoices, and uh, he's got to get home now because he's got his beautiful girlfriend, and he's got episodes of Real Housewives to watch. There's <laughs> a man, and uh, you got to go out and promote, right? I mean, you got more uh, gigs today. I kept you too long, but you have more uh, situations. Not today. Uh, this right. week, I think I'm doing Fallon later in the week, and uh, oh, he's a top guy. Flying to New York. Doing yeah. Drew Barrymore. I mean, yeah, you know, I love, love doing this stuff. It's like, if I, I, if I'm proud of something, I love talking about it. Like, and I'm right. really proud of this. So it's, it's, uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother me, you know. What John's trying to say is, is harder, is harder than most, but, uh, you know. <laughs> well, what John is saying, um, he's saying, fuck you to these guys who don't promote their projects. He's saying, uh, what kind of idiots are you? You must get out there if you believe in something. And, Bang uh, the boy, drum, that's, you know. Good for you. I, I, I believe that. Uh, anyway, John Ham, you're a great guy. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, thank you, we Howard. know you, we love you, and we can't get enough of you. Confess Fletch Select Theater is now available on video on demand. Go see him. Create a new Fletch, not the Chevy Chase Fletch, a different Fletch, the John Ham Fletch. And look at those glasses of Rolf Robin. No, it's happened again. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a power you have. Don't get married. You've got too much. Uh, this, you could be fucking from now until forever. Oh, Howard, you know, no, it's enough. You know that it's, it's enough. Yes. It's empty. It's an empty life. A terrible, terrible life. <laughs> terrible life. I get it. Right? Yeah. Secretary of Genitalia, John Hamm, thank you for <laughs> being here. Bye, John. Bye, John. Thank, thank you. To you both. Great Thanks to talk to you. Very much, guys. Appreciate that. See ya. John Hamm giving us a lot of time reflecting on everything yeah. Hollywood, his life. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. Be honest, Robin. How many orgasms? Well, how many during the interview? I'm telling you, something happens when he takes off those glasses. Well, like he's got a he's got a thing. Like a movie star, you know, like that's mm -hmm. he's got to keep those glasses on to keep people away. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I I, I envy that ability to turn women on just with a with a look, or <laughs> yeah, you know, I wanted that for myself. I wish I had it. Um, never happened for me. But listen, based on my two parents, Look, people get I did, very excited when they see you, Howard. They very. sure do. Yeah. <laughs> Big dick energy. Well, Robin, easy. Uh, that's you don't have to say that. But, you didn't uh, verify fuck me, that. Fuck me. Fuck me. <laughs> no, he downplayed it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I hope uh, everybody. Uh, Ralph's saying you need to calm down. I need a cock. Easy, right? Why can't I be excited? Oh my god! Why can't? Why oh oh she... my god! I'm gonna clock it. I'm gonna Howard re-listen like every five minutes. She's giggling, piping uh, <laughs> up. Robin, you said you're closed for business. Are you reopened? <laughs> she would. She would. She. You would have sex with John Hammer. Uh, tell the truth, Robin. Would you? Uh, he's a feast for the eyes. No, look, I'm looking at him, and then he says he's. 
just turned 50 that's 20 years younger than me i'm not yeah, but you look that. young you look Come on. young. yeah look at yeah. you you don't have a wrinkle look at you are you botoxing no i wish i would have the nerve <laughs> where would you botox you don't have any wrinkles my entire body i would botox. you would botox everything oh, you're stop. like superman <laughs> <laughs> please massage my breast all right. Thank you, Look, Ralph. There you I go. I got excited. I told you I would. Isn't that something? Good for you. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, let me remind you, you will be hearing the dirtiest, most actually disgusting phony phone call ever in the history of the Howard Stern show. Yeah, it's more than dirty. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's not dirty. It's, it's, the, it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> It'll make you sick. It'll make you sick. Tomorrow, <laughs> Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. Be, pre be prepared to be disgusted. Prepare to be disgusted. Come on, baby. Just take my fist. <laughs> Something so, so horrible, so degrading, so life, uh, 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 what's the opposite of affirming? It is life draining. Life you destroying. Hear, you will hear fisty Gary. Get your barf bags ready. I keep this wrist greasy so it goes in easy. Uh, oh, shit. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll vomit. Prepare yourself for <laughs> fisty Gary calls a fister. Fisty Gary. All right. That'll be tomorrow. Also, for those of you uh, who are fans of music, Music, sweet music. Tomorrow you'll hear Imagine Dragons doing their thing and uh, going to do a couple of tunes for you. And you know, that's always fun. Can't wait for that. Yeah. And uh, that's it. I'll tune in tomorrow for Fisty Gary. You will regret listening, I promise you. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Coming soon to the Howard Stern Show. Oh, the humanity. The most disgusting, <laughs> shocking, depraved phony phone call of all time. I heard you dig fisting? Um, I pretty much live for it, yeah. Well, that's great, because I dig out colons. Fuck yeah. Flirty Gary is Fisty G. Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. Fisty Gary. In Fisty Gary Calls a Fister, a two-part phony phone call event coming soon to the Howard Stern Show. If you let me fist your colon, I'll make it nice and swollen.